Hey everyone, welcome back to the BMX in our blood. So as you guys have noticed, I've picked up the pace a little bit and started recording a bit more often. Uh, so this one this week is one that I'm pretty excited about. I find it uh, pretty interesting to get into the head of a, a really determined athlete and that's that's what John Badessa is. So some of you may know of him from his late 80s, early 90s uh, success racing. But when he really got onto the national scene, he was extremely determined and got the number ones that he wanted, uh, as well as a world championship, and then turned his focus to a bunch of different sports, all of which took extreme focus to be able to be successful. As we all know, not all stories have fairy tale endings, although this one pretty much does because he did a lot of research and was as determined in figuring out what might be going on with his body when it started to fail on him after training so hard for so many years for different physical sports that he was successful at. So I hope you give it a good, a good solid listen and, and uh, listen to the end when, when uh, things really pick up and he talks quite a bit about getting that under control and still living an active life, but being aware of what your, what your body needs, just listening to your body. So, uh, so that's that. Thank you, Powers Bike Shop, for supporting the podcast. And, uh, man, Chad's got some big moves going on. That new building is uh, pretty incredible. If you don't follow Powers Bike Shop, you really should. Uh, the museum is, has definitely come together, and uh, the place just looks really clean and big. Uh, not nearly as crowded as he was. So hopefully this new new location can do more of the same. A little bit of sad news over this past weekend. Uh, we lost Dave Pawson, otherwise known as Ham, also known as Dave No Swap, because we know he loved to wheel and deal mid-school BMX uh, memorabilia. He uh, had quite a collection going, and... Uh, Hopefully that collection is is still around, but that's uh, that's the that's the least of our concerns, really. Uh, Dave was a good guy, and Dave definitely fought his his demons. And uh, you know, it appears that uh, this was not a this was not a natural passing. Uh, it was definitely an untimely passing of of Dave. So please keep Dave in mind. Just, uh, I don't know, go outside and maybe just yell flat pedals rule. <laughs> that would be a uh, a great way to honor Dave because uh, he definitely appreciated that era that, that uh, you know, myself as well as a lot of people I know uh, came from. So uh, also uh, he did not have a ton of money, uh, and I don't believe his family does either. So there's a GoFundMe that uh, I know I saw posted on the Malali Bike Park page, but 
check that out and donate however you can. Honestly, I know it sounds like a cliche, but $5, $10, whatever uh, would be helpful to to pitch into that GoFundMe for the funeral costs for Dave. That GoFundMe would need to be acted on pretty fast, and you can find it by searching on GoFundMe. You can search for funeral costs for David Pawson, P-A-W-S-O-N, a.k.a. BMX legend. Anything we could do to help would be would be great because uh, he ultimately was one of us and we were definitely very much like him. Uh, all of us that just, you know, love BMX. So enjoy the interview with John Badessa and have a great week. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome to the BMX in our blood. I'm here with John Badessa. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for thanks for uh, sending me the book to read, which was awesome. Uh, that's what got this thing, this whole deal going, which is fit to be sick, which we'll uh, talk about through the course of this. I guess I have to thank George Costa, right? Yeah, definitely. I actually went to see him this summer. Yeah, end of the summer, and uh, he was the one that told me about the podcast because yeah. Sean was there at work, and oh, okay, and I was talking to Sean. And I mean, I haven't seen those guys in ages since sure. I stopped racing, and then he was telling me about the podcast, mm-hmm. and then I started listening to it. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Oh, good. And then connected the dots. I'm like, you know, kind of yeah, see if you put my story out there, you know, because you know, hopefully I can help some people and uh, spread some awareness of what I went through and. Yeah. Oh, not to go down that same path and make the same mistakes. So, so generally speaking, we'll get to it later. But we're talking overtraining and just just basically beating your body down. So we'll get to that. But if we start on the BMX, I think we'll start to see some patterns right off the bat, right? Yeah, it's a good shot so, at it. Yeah, <laughs> had so, to start somewhere. So yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, just because you were you were as successful as a racer and uh, and you worked at it. Really, really worked at it. Oh, yeah. I didn't work at it. I, I, I don't know. I, I may as well have been hanging out in the fight club with Sean Dupree. <laughs> wait a minute. You weren't part of that fight club, were you? Uh, I wasn't part of it, but <laughs> I, I kind of know some of the stories and yeah. probably all the players. So, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, those guys are... There was just a different time. It was fun back then. Yeah, yeah. Because we all, we all rode at Greenwood. Um, those guys were doing their thing and... Yeah. They'd show up every once in a while. Yeah. And, you know, at Rocky Hill. So sure. It, it was it was fun. How old are you uh, now? Right now? Yeah. 44. 44? Yeah. Yes, he's got... Him and I have about six years on you. So right. back then, you were probably the young kid at the trails. Yeah, I was... I was in my teens, you know, so those guys yeah. were like 17, 18. They were driving, so they would drive sure. up there where we would ride our bikes there. You know, I think... For me personally, I was racing more. But I mean, I would, that was you know full throttle back then. Right. So the trails were pretty much where I got my, you know, honed my skills and stuff like sure. that. Yeah. Where every we all raced, but I think I was the one that was racing at that national level. Where you know my friends would just ride more local. They would race Rocky Hill, Cape Cod here and there, and Meriden sure. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So and we all had we were all there under the same pretense. It's just my goals were probably a lot different than theirs at that particular time. Which paid off because you were you 
became pretty successful in your age groups. So how did you, did you find out about BMX through these guys or, or how did that come up? So that's a interesting story. So there were a bunch of kids in my neighborhood and, and there were, back then there was a lot of kids that lived around the, the neighborhood and they all had bikes. Right. And this was, I was like five or six years old. So I didn't have a bike. I would always borrow a bike. Uh-huh. So that was my, that's what I wanted for Christmas was to get like a bike so I could ride with my friends around the neighborhood. Yeah. And this was around the time of E.T. Oh, okay. So like BMX racing was huge back then, the Kuahara. So I'm like, oh, that was like my dream bike to have that Kuahara. So I asked Santa for it. Yeah, and yeah, ironically, yeah. that Christmas, I ended up getting the Kuahara. Yeah. And so now I was part of the club. And so yeah. the actual start of BMX, I'm not sure... Somehow, some way, we ended up back at that bike shop. The shop owner, at the time, he, he mentioned about BMX racing, and the track back then was Town Hall BMX. Oh, okay. It was less than a mile away from the bike shop. He's like, you know, you guys should check it out. You're a good age to start. And I was like six or seven years old. Yeah, it's a popular sport, so it's, it's not your typical all right. sports and stuff like that and, and my father was always into auto racing my brother was into auto racing mm-hmm. and that that kind of fizzled out like my brother raced go-karts but he's much older than me so once he turned 16 right. he wasn't racing go-karts he was you know trying to you know chasing women and driving sure. around with his friends and all that so mm-hmm. it was kind of like that void so this all happened at the perfect time so they raced on a tuesday night my parents went there with me on that Tuesday night and I checked it out and they yeah. asked me if it was something you wanted to try and I nodded yes and the rest I guess would be history. You said your brother was not into it. The no, he didn't, I mean he was, didn't race. No, he, he well he raced school carts. My father raced cars. But there was no oh, cycling. This was like a whole different yeah. avenue to go down. Right. Which is weird. But kinda although you were younger so that was your that was your means of transportation to go to friends houses or what or whatever maybe not quite at six or seven but around there yeah i don't know how tight your parents were with with the leash oh back then it was you, you know you just had to be in in the house when those street lights went on so yeah. it was totally different right. times right same with me my parents actually had a cowbell they would ring. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember the cowbell. Yeah. yeah, it was the lights. <laughs> or you'd hear your mother yelling, dinner, dinner, and you'd that, come, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so you started at this town hall BMX, it was called? Town hall, yeah. And, and it's funny, because that was actually uh, Bob Lincourt. Oh, yeah. Bob Lincourt's father. He was the one running the track back then. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it, it was... I mean, for the listeners, like a local race back then had 60 to 70 motos. That's how popular the sport yeah. was. And in Rhode Island, we had, I think, four tracks running yeah. at that time. Oh, between like, like weekly tracks, just four in Rhode Island. Yeah. And then, you know, for years, we didn't have any tracks. Mm-hmm. Now we're back to one, but it, the sport was just massive back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Rob Linker was another one that was successful, right? Um, I don't think he went quite as far as you did, but he still did really well. He was fun to watch. He was always mixing it up. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, he kind of set the path. Mm-hmm. Because back then, they had like this, I remember it was like this little like VW, and his father would take him to all the races. And they raced all over New England. Yeah. But that was for the High Point Championship. Right, so right. I, I don't think they even do that now. But back then... Just for the state? No, this was national. 
Oh, high points overall. Overall. But, so you had your state high point, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. they always had that. You have your yeah. age group, you had your state. Yeah. But then they had a national one. Oh, so yeah. you got, so if you won the yeah, national yeah. high points back then, mm-hmm. you had the most points of any anybody in the whole country. Right, right. So they did it once, I believe. Maybe more, I could be wrong. But then that's what I strived to, you know. Obviously, it wasn't me. It was probably my father. Sure. Because he's the one driving me to all these races. Yeah, right. But that... Once we went after that, that was like a whole different ball game. That's like racing every day of the week. Yeah, and literally, I remember racing three times on a Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Like Saturday morning, there would be like a, a double pointer up in Seabrook, New Hampshire at like yeah. 8 o'clock in the morning. So right. I, I just remember like getting dragged out of bed at like 4 in the morning to drive up to New Hampshire, yeah. do that race. And then on the way home, it was like, I think it was Dunstable, Mass. Oh. You do a Mass State race yeah. and then come home to Rocky Hill on Saturday night. Uh, okay. And then Sunday would be Mansfield. Monday, I think back then might have been, I think Bristol or it was a truck. Yeah, it could. Br- Tuesdays was... Trumbull, Wednesday would be Rocky Hill, Thursday I think was Nooseneck, Friday was Cape Cod or Westfield. Or yeah. it, it was, it was, you were racing all the time. But you had to to get that title because you had the West Coast and the warmer climate places that raced year-round. Yeah, exactly. So that, that became, that was my life for, you know, a lot of years. Really? Yeah. Did you ever get it? Oh, I got it twice, two years in a row. For the to- total high points in the yeah, country. Yeah, I think I think, I think eighty five and eighty six or eighty six and eighty seven. It was a big achievement. I mean, we were going to Howell, New Jersey. I don't know if you ever went there. Oh, they yeah. had the Iron Man Classic, and it was like sure. winter time there. And yeah, Northampton. Yeah, well, fortunately, well, that wasn't NBL though. No, that was uh, NBA, I believe. Right. Then. Yeah. Right. That I, even though it was cold, that place was. So much fun. It was mostly fun watching Mike Crean. Yeah. From yeah. behind. Uh, because I was in his motos, and by the first jump, he already had like three bikes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe four. Yeah, Mike was a beast back then. Yeah, he was a man-child. It was, he, he was not just an average 15-year-old at that time. Uh, but yeah, the Northampton, Northampton, I think, was, what, maybe till 87? Yeah, it was around there. Like I that. mean, that was the only track around here in the winter that we could even race that. Yeah, no one complained about it, that's for sure. No heat. I think it was like a horse, what was it, a horse? Yeah. A horse ring or something. Yeah. The only heat was like in the, in the, as soon as you walked in, in the yeah. vestibule. Yeah. You have exactly. your hot chocolate and you're like oh, cuddling it to get warm or you sat out in the parking lot in your car with the heater on. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> on Sundays, you come home and watch the late NFL game because it took two and a half hours to get out there. Oh, right, right. It wasn't. It, yeah, it was. It was out there a little bit. Yeah, not from here. It was a hike. Uh, that was probably one of the my least favorite trips. Was going out there every Sunday. Yeah. But once you're there, it was fun. It was just uh, I, I don't miss that ride out there. It was just so boring. Right. The mass pike all the way. Yeah. Well, nowadays the closest indoors is uh gripping up in binghamton and that's that's a hike for for us even though i'm on the western side of connecticut it's still a hike yeah it's i don't know if you're you know if you want to keep racing all year round it's uh it's not a big deal to drive that far but right i think, I think there's probably a time and ever in all of our lives where you would go as much as you possibly could go if someone would take you oh yeah so uh so anyway so 
So you did the high points thing. I, I did find something at home. I, I forgot to bring it, but it was 1986, I think. It was uh, State Plates for 86. It was from the uh, from the Connecticut MBL banquet that we'd have every yeah. year. Uh, and you, uh, you obviously didn't do our state series, but just by points alone and going to a, a few of the, the double pointers. Right. Uh, you were like... Uh, six, they only awarded to the top ten. I think you were sixth, but in Rob Lincourt was in there too, and I think mm-hmm. he was like third, which is pretty good for not doing the whole series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was the thing. So we would, we always had multiple plates. Yeah. So you'd always get your local like Rhode Island plate, and then Mass. We'd always have a Mass plate. Yeah. But the Connecticut one was hard because sometimes the state races fell on the same days. Yeah. And you can't be two places at once. Yeah. So that that so Connecticut always took the back door. Yeah, right, right, definitely. Just because I mean, you driving to Trumbull, that was a hike too. Or Bethel, those those were way out there. Yeah, or yeah, back then, far uh, southwestern Connecticut. That's, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't ask for a, a further track to have to go to on a Wednesday night of all times. Oh yeah, uh, I remember leaving school and driving to Trumbull. It's like, oh my right. god, this is bad. It was like you remember it. Yeah, in still. Connecticut because we don't change much in Connecticut. Right, which is good. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very good. It's the only, very good. The only bad part I think was when Guilford closed. Like that, that was sad because that track was just that was Southern track in New oh, England. Yeah, yeah, that and that wasn't too too far for you when you shoot down ninety five. No, it was just right off the highway. I think I still remember it was like exit fifty seven. I think or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They had the bridge and the red clay and. Last race they, there was that national it was Westfield and then Guilford the next day. Oh yeah, and they used to do you know a national one, one a day, one day yeah, yeah, in yeah. one place, and then and then uh, the Sunday at a, a completely different track. My father he said uh, back then we were doing over a, a thousand to twelve hundred miles a week driving just doing local races. Wow! Just to put it into perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of. Uh, it was a cult. Well, I, I honestly, you know, you think about it, it was a cult because mm-hmm. we would just meet and like everybody would jump in with us or we'd have like this convoy going to all these races everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And then it progressed to the nationals, but it, it was just it was just a cool time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was it was wild. And, and I don't think that will ever exist again just cuz there's not that many tracks to do it and I don't think you could afford to do it with gas the way it is and and just yeah. different things, you know. It was just a unique time in history where the sport was huge and you could do that. I'm sure with a lot of different stories of what of, of what kids turn to or away from or just don't get attracted to, it's just, there's so many options that involve not breaking a sweat. Oh, of course. <laughs> you know, that's probably the biggest problem. Just after you, at the same time you were going for high points, were you also doing nationals? It doesn't seem like that would work too well. No, so it was... Pretty much the high point thing, and the national started later. I, I, like, went to, I think my first national I ever went to was in Asheville, North Carolina. Okay. And that's because, like, Lynn Court and those guys, they were they were starting to go after the nationals. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, you know, you hear about it, so we went. Sure. And that was a, I don't remember that too much. I just, I remember it was, like, really beautiful being in the mountains and everything. Because that was yeah. probably the first time I really traveled yeah. as a kid, you know, to somewhere far away. Right, right. And 
but I think it started. They had a Charlotte Motor Speedway. Yeah. They had a national in the front straightaway there. Yeah. And that it seemed like after that race, and then the national scene started, you know, becoming something that we started to chase. Yeah. But never stopped racing locals. It was sure. just on those weekends if there was a national, we'd do the national and then come right. back. Right. What age were you when you started started to uh, go for a national plate? We'll say. 87 I think my first plate was yeah so I started racing in 83 mm-hmm. and I think my first national plate was in 87 so before that we're pretty much you know maybe oh. one or two nationals but we're going after like the local high points and the sure. mass state plate and the Rhode Island state plate yeah and yeah. stuff like that and uh, I think my first national plate was like 28 either 20 yeah I think it was 28 and then mm-hmm. I got to 12 and then yeah from so, there kept going up <laughs> what were your best years of on the national side of things what were your best years because you left in nine you stopped in 92 right yeah so, so well that that's an interesting so in 1989 that that's when i really started to really break through uh-huh so in 89 i was winning nationals i, I had my perfects getting ready for the grands and um, I got invited to the Worlds. Right. And Which Worlds? I believe it was in Brazil back then. Okay. So that would have been the first time I got to go there. So everything was like, you know, I was getting that success at that higher level. Mm-hmm. And, well, it was kind of sad. It's probably one of the things I really regret. So there was Jared Krisiloff. He was the son of the, the father's name was Steve Krisiloff. And Titan? No, it wasn't Titan. So... His wife was a hallman, and they owned Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, wow. So my father, like, we became friendly with them because yeah. my father was into auto racing, and, you yeah. know, and yeah. his son was younger, obviously. His son was, like, he just started. He was, like, you know, six or seven. He was right. a little guy with a little, I think he had a Titan bike back then. Yeah, yeah. But, so they always had this boss, and his father, because they, they owned Indianapolis, all the race shops are there. So he had oh, everything okay. on his son's bike built out of titanium. Oh my like God. back then, his bike was like seven pounds. I, I remember the name now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had all my perfects, and we're we're gearing up for the worlds, and they. He's like, you know, I can give you a tour of the speedway and all this. So we went to Indianapolis for the national that was there. This was it was on June twenty first. Yeah. That weekend. Uh huh. And. Like to me, that was like the ultimate to go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway from your following auto race and and in practice, last run got down the gate. It was cruiser with the older kids, and uh-huh. I crashed in the front straightaway and broke my ankle. Uh, and that was it. And it yeah. was it was, you know, that changed everything because mm-hmm. after that crash, I, I'd never been banged up. You know, you always dislocate a finger or whatever. But sure. that was that was. That was I was out. Right, right. And there wasn't even an ambulance there. Somebody else went. This was the track. There was a velodrome. Right. The BMX track, I think, was right next to it. Yeah. So my father's, like, driving. I think we went to that national with Todd Cambio and his father. Uh-huh. So we're getting directions to go to Methodist Hospital. And my ankle, my leg, my ankle was literally hanging from, it wasn't even connected. It was just flopping. So every imperfection in the road, it was, like, you know, I'm, I'm like cussing my father, like screaming. Yeah. What are you hitting every bump on the road? You know, that was eighty nine. You said eighty nine. So yeah, I was thirteen. Yeah, right. 
So we got to the hospital and I, the, the worst thing was the x-ray because you have to turn both yeah. sides and like I couldn't even, my, my leg was so toast. Yeah. So I, I remember the doctor coming in and he's like, well, you broke your ankle big time. Like, those were his exact words. Like I broke yeah. my ankle in six places. Oh he's like, you're going to need surgery. He goes, maybe we can do it without, but you know, we're not sure. So the next thing you know, I'm in the operating room getting the anesthesia and I'm out. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I wake up and my trip to Indianapolis Motor Speedway ended up happening because Dr. Trammell, he was like their head doctor for like all the IndyCar circuit for like a lot of years. He was the doctor that came in to fix my ankle Uh and he did it without surgery. So, but it was like, it was iffy. So I had to stay in the hospital for like three days for them to do that. When I got out, it was... I was in a full leg cast, like all the way up to my groin. This was yeah. like, this was June 21st, the first day of summer, Man. you know? So that going to the worlds at that time, they had this show called sun kiss kids uh-huh. where they, they, they would, it was on Saturday mornings, I think on ABC or something, mm-hmm. but they would interview like junior athletes and put them on TV. And so that was set up to happen. So that got canceled. The world championships got canceled. Oh man. And so pr- pretty much everything ended. And at that point, I'm not even, like BMX was kind of, that was like the turning point. It was like, I remember my father saying in the hospital, I was like, you know, if you don't want to do this anymore, you know, because I mean, you don't want to see your son all banged up sure. either. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I don't know, let's just see how it goes and get out of the hospital. And it, it was, it was bad. So for, I got out of the full cast, I got into a walking cast. Uh-huh. And then with that, I could at least get around. So I could ride my bike a little bit with the walking cast. Yeah. So I had the perfect going into the grand. So for the grands, I had a roller gate, uh-huh. basically, because the, right. the last moto, I, I could have probably did well if I, I think the last moto I rode the track and I still did like a fourth. Uh, but anyway, uh, I ended up, I ended up getting five that year, just uh-huh. in that, from that situation. Sure. So it was, I think it was Columbus Day weekend. I think it was October 12th. Mm-hmm that my walking cast came off. Okay. So I go to the doctor and I'm walking in because I was walking by then, everything was great. Right. When they cut that cast off, my leg was like, you know, it was like a quarter of the size it was. I couldn't even put weight on it. Right, I'm right, like, right. what the hell is this, you know? I'm like, put it back on. So yeah. that's when therapy started. And mm. so in 1990, I didn't even race it. Like it, it was more so rehabbing my leg. Yeah. But when I was banged up and out, it, it like lit this fire that I never had, you know? Yeah. It's like all the things I wanted to accomplish came to the forefront. Now it's like, I don't know I'm gonna do it because you yeah. just never know what can happen. Like you, life can change in the blink of an eye. Right, right. So that was it. And now it was like, I just wanna get better and... To have that realization at that age is pretty, is, 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 I wanna say different, but it just, uh, you don't see that very often. No, and it, and it wasn't even just racing. There was things like riding, like we used to ride street around here, and there's just mm-hmm. stupid things that I wouldn't do. I'm like, ah, that's probably not smart, like bunny hopping a guardrail or jumping up this wall that's in my neighborhood. Right, right. And I'm like, as soon as I get able to do it, I'm like, jumping the guardrail. I yeah, just yeah. started doing all those crazy stuff just right. because, you know, live life now because you don't know what's going to happen. Sure. So it took me that whole... I didn't really started racing locals building back up my first national i think was uh 
uh, Thanksgiving in oh, Harrisburg, Harrisburg right? right? Yeah. So that was in 1990, Thanksgiving. I think I won that national. And then after Columbus, from then until my birthday, my birthday always fell like right after Egg Harbor weekend. Oh, okay. That year, I won 18 nationals in a row. Like 18 mains in a row. They don't keep records, but that's probably a record. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I lost that was I jumped the gate and one of my mains in Egg Harbor. And I think that was on a Saturday and I won the next two on Sunday. Oh, okay. Um, went to the Worlds. Ended up getting... Well, that the Worlds was a whole n- another story, so... And this was 90, 1990 now. 90 right? into 91. 90 and 91. So where were the Worlds of that year? Norway. Okay. So that that was that was a hoot. So we went to Norway, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I was doing good. I was, you know, just one of those nationals, and I was, you know, ready for ready for the Worlds. Yeah. So we show up and, and practice. There's no horns on the gate. So you can. I'm, I'm a horn. Like I've always listened to the horn. Me too. I've never done my this. whole racing career. There was yeah, no yeah. horns. No. So now I'm at this. The track was pretty cool. It was in this kind of like a stadium. It was like this rock crushed rock. But I have to learn how to do gate starts all over again. Oh my gosh. So yeah. now practice became just practicing the gate more so than anything else, and right. learning to ride the track. Right. So I got it down pretty good. Yeah. And. I ended up crashing in the semi on uh, in twenty inch. Yeah, but I, you know I won all my motos. I was you know I was riding you know I, I went there to win. I didn't go right. there to, to cruise around. Right. And, you right. know if you're going to a race, you have to go there to win. Like you don't yeah. go to a race to yeah. you know participate. Right. That's that was never, especially the worlds. Yeah, yeah. Well, any race really, but yeah, right. So a cruiser ended up. I got a mediocre start, so I ended up getting the third in that race. Uh-huh. So then that kind of... At the end of that year, I went to the Grands. I, I got number one plate. I won the U.S. Open. 20-inch, mm-hmm. um, I crashed, I believe, in the, at the Grands. Actually, I, let's slow it down with that, because the one thing that uh, I didn't read in the book was, it, who were you racing? Because I think uh, a lot of people that listen would want to know this. So if, if you were, uh, what was it, like 14, 15, right mm-hmm. around there, who was your biggest competition then? 91 was mm-hmm. your first MBL number one. Yeah, national. Who did you beat for that? Because that's, that's not an easy age group. First and foremost, my biggest competition would always be myself. Sure. You know, you got to get through your mental block. But yeah, um, something so, else that yeah, you so, pay attention to. But I've always had... Uh, Tim Strelacki was always strong. I asked the, mm-hmm. He was a little older, so I would race him probably till from May to... I think he must have turned right after uh, Ohio, Columbus. Oh, okay. So, so, so for, for a plate, you were with him, though, for a national plate. Yeah, in Healy, raced with him. Um, Gosh, these guys were all fast. Too. Yeah. Uh, Chris Udaly, who's uh-huh. an ABA. Ryan Varendeveen, Eric Zupko, Billy Botek. Oh, yeah, you had uh, Matt Polkamp. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there was... Todd Wells? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was there was, a, there was a lot of talent. There was no doubt about it. You you are in the class that I was I was thinking you were, which is a, which was a really hard class. So yeah. To get number one, you must have been pretty psyched about that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that was one of my goals. And then, yeah. like, that was my goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, when you race, you want to get the number right. one title. You know, it was kind of redemption from the year that I couldn't race when I broke my ankle. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but it was, 
know, I still had that unfinished business with the Whirls. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I remember um, distinctively going to the beach in the summer with my brother. And at that point, I was I was tired. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the California riders, they always got the magazines. They always got the, the mm-hmm. you know, all the hype and everything. Sure. But they would fly into these nationals. Yeah. You know, they'd land on an airplane. Like, we drove everywhere. There's only three races in my whole racing career that we drove to. One was, I mean, that we flew to. One was, I think, in Armadillo, Texas. Oh, wow. To do an ABA race? No, it was an NBL race. It was. Back then. Yeah. And it rained the second day, which worked out because I won the first day, and then it, they doubled it. So so that was a good trip. Oh, wow. But then, so that was one race. It was uh, Norway and Brazil. Those are the only three races I ever flew to. Really? So every race was driving driving there. Yeah. And we probably did about 18 nationals a year. So Brazil... I thought that I may be confusing things because uh, when you when you broke your ankle, I thought that was the year you were supposed to go to Brazil. Yeah, it was in the same. It was in Brazil two times. Two times. Eighty nine oh, so, and ninety two. Oh, so you had a, Oh, it came around again. Yeah, it came around. I don't, that's kind of weird because usually they space it out, but for sure. whatever reason, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, God. It's, well, you can get to that when you're ready, but. Um, but yeah, that's that's a pretty heavy. That's a, that's a yeah, pretty heavy. By ninety one, I was getting burned out. Is it's like you know you're starting to get to those that age where you know it's like a Wednesday and I'm hanging out with my friends and it's like uh-huh. oh, I guess we have to drive to Florida or you know Alabama or Tennessee and so yeah. and then racing as much as I did because I never stopped racing the locals even right. even to the end I always raced locally and like no matter what I raced Rocky Hill Cape Cod. So you were still, still racing Meriden, doing the doubles. Oh, so you were still going to... Yeah, if there wasn't a national... Three, was, four a week. Yeah, so. there was, that's just the way it was. And uh, so well, I remember just being at the beach, walking my brother, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just getting starting to get tired of this sport, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. And then schoolwork was starting to get bad. Yeah. He's like, just win the Worlds and then call it a day. And I'm like, you know what? I think that's what my goal's going to be. And yeah. that's kind of like what I set out to do. Mm-hmm. So you focused on that and less on on the national series that year? No, I still did the nationals. I mean, so for me, the national season it's just like anything else. You got to use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, from the grands until May was when I raced all my nationals. Summertime, very little. Like maybe went to South Park here and there because mm-hmm. you're at a disadvantage. You know, you have the kids that are going to turn a year older when you just turned up into there. Uh, yeah. So it, it really wasn't. You know. There was nothing really on the line until you started getting to the end of the year anyway. Right. Yeah, so that in 92, I got all my perfects for the Grands. Mm-hmm. And then once I got out of, uh, you know, right after Egg Harbor, I got out of school. And then that was it. I just started training for the Worlds. And it's funny now because you see stuff where, you know, they have specific BMX training and all yeah. that. Well, that that's, you know, I was doing that in 92. That's like when I started. Yeah. Like, literally, a regular day for me would be, I don't know, you probably drove by it, but there's CCRI Hill. It's probably the biggest hill around here. Uh-huh. Every morning, I'd ride there, and I'd sprint that hill, just from the bottom to the top, just do sprints. Come Up. home, eat, yeah. rest, ride my bike to the gym, mm-hmm. weight train, come home, eat, rest. And then at night, 
So I ended up getting a sponsorship from Hawk. They made the square aluminum. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't know you had a, a Hawk sponsorship. Wow. Yeah. So I got that bike right uh-huh. before we, you know, it was like at the end of the year. Well, it was like, you know, I shouldn't say the end of the year, but it was in the middle of the season right before the world. Mm-hmm. So every night I'd be like at the trails with my bike trying to get that dialed in. All right. And then this, that just became my life. There was nothing else. It wasn't like hanging out with my friends. It was like mm-hmm. training. <laughs> Riding the trails and racing. That, that's, yeah. It just consumed me right. to right. get ready for the worlds. And and you never had that kind of drive bef- in previous years, right? Where you would train like that? Not like that. I mean, I, I when I broke my ankle, that's kind of... You know, I always was into going to the gym, but it mm-hmm. never got specific. Like, when I broke my ankle, you kind of had to for the rehab part. Oh, man, the atrophy. You were saying your muscles. Yeah, really it, it took it and it's gone. Yeah, so that... Or and I always enjoyed it, so that continued, but it was never to the extent of doing hill sprints and all this. Yeah. And yeah. and I think even back then, uh, with Coca-Cola um, sponsorship, we had bikes and more. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting a road bike and a mountain bike. Yeah. And, you know, I'd sprinkle in some of that stuff. So sure. not only doing the intensity, now I started doing some endurance stuff. Right, right. Which riding the road a little mm-hmm. bit on the BMX side, it, it made like a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Like I could just go like Rocky Hill and, and like as fast as I went around, go right back up on the gate and just go around again. Like yeah. the the difference if, of your cardio was just insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of put that all together and then mm-hmm. we went to the worlds and it was first and foremost and around here I'm listening I'm looking at lights now just yeah, in case yeah, you right, know right when I got there there was they had the horn so that was a huge relief yeah and the track was like exactly what I trained for it was just a, a total power track you know oh good yeah. so it worked out well it, it was funny because I was Faster, my father was a maniac back then. He'd be like timing me with a stopwatch and all kinds of stuff. So in cruiser, I was like way faster than I was. It was always kind of faster on cruiser anyway. Yeah. But once again, I crashed. I think in my semi, I didn't make the main on cruiser, and um, ended up winning. Obviously, winning the worlds on twenty inch. Uh huh. Which was cool because the owner of Hawk, I think his name was Bill Paxton. He was there, mm-hmm. and you know we were partying. And nice. the, the worlds were always fun, even in Norway. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really with the USA team. Yeah. I don't know. It's like we're talking about the West Coast. Like they were kind of okay. like snobs, you know. Sure. So at uh, in Norway, the Australian team was right. staying in the same hotel. So I had to race Daniel Sprague, but. It was like him, this other kid, Darren Harry, like the whole Australian team. We were there. We were riding. Right kind of partying it was it was it was pretty wild so those were definitely good days after the worlds we went to uh louisville and for some reason every year i went to the grands and my motos got stacked yeah which was kind of ironic it was like in 1991 i got like chris udaly and i think might have been billy botek in my motos Uh uh-huh which is like unheard of. Right. And then the following year I get Ryan Vanderveen and Eric Zupko in my motos. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you gotta be on your game just to you drop a moto, you're done for the year. You know, you just threw your title away. And that was 20 inch. Yeah, and I ended up crashing on coming off this in the second straightaway. I banged up my knee, and then uh-huh. that pretty much wiped that. I think I got national two, and I don't even know what I got on uh, cruiser. Yeah. 
And then after that, they had the, the national was in Shoreham. I think it was a national. Yeah. I won both days, class and cruiser, and then that was it. That was the last time I ever rode a BMX bike. Oh, it was bike. in the fall, right? Yeah. So it was that was like the first the year, first yeah. national of 1993. Yeah, I got you. and then that was it. Never raced again until 2008. Really? Yeah, I just walked away. So 92 to 2008? Yep. Wow. Which I would consider in my life the dark years because I, I didn't really. That's when I was doing auto racing and and stuff like that. So I right. kind of just you know didn't didn't even look at a bike for the longest mm. time. Right. You you're unique in the sense that at the the age that you were pushing hard and training and you said you like to go to the gym uh, at that age that wasn't common. I don't believe at probably that, not. That, but that's what had it to, had to be done. So. So you were pretty competitive right off the bat. Where where do you think you got that from? Was it something your your dad was your dad very competitive? Like where where do you think you pulled that from? Where it was like you knew that you had to focus and do and do all the right stuff. Yeah, it wasn't because it was young. I, I, I can probably say this. It wasn't. I'm I'm I don't know. I, I guess my father could be competitive but i think he was more persuasive might have been a better yeah 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 i, I had a lot of hot to hot talks mm-hmm. throughout the years yeah um sure. kind of like you know what the hell are you doing type of thing if you you know stop screwing around I, I i distinctively remember being in i think this happened i was in i think we we're in sarasota mm-hmm. and my cousin was there and we we're screwing around out in the parking lot it's like mm-hmm. you know go up there for your moto yeah, all right, I'll be there, no problem. You're going to miss your moto. Yeah, yeah. I missed my moto. Threw away a trip to Florida. Oh and literally, I forgot who we were with. It was, I don't know who we tra- were traveling. Because we always travel with a different family. Sure. Whether it was the Modens from Connecticut or mm-hmm. Cambio or whoever. Little tiny Stevie Moden. Yeah, we used to go to a lot of nationals together. They yeah. lived in, uh, I think, Stonington out that way. So we'd mm-hmm. pass them, we'd pick them up. Yeah. But yeah, that was like a silent ride home from Florida. My father didn't say two words. And I was like, what the hell, you know? But, you know, honestly, looking back, I would be pissed off too, you know? You took time out of work. I'm taking time out of school and I'm screwing around. It's a I miss a moto and, like, you basically you're done. Like, once you miss a moto, you, you, you can't transfer. You just right. threw a whole trip away. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I can understand that. So I think, you know, between that little persuasion and success is an addictive drug once you start getting it you want more you mm-hmm. know right so right. i think that was a huge factor and you that's, just you get addicted and then your ego takes over and that's what it is right i i mean it's clearly clearly the reason i never won a title because i didn't i didn't have that so I, that's why i say at that age and at that time Mostly that age, I, I I think it's pretty unique that you were that driven. That taste of victory that you first had was really driving you. Yeah, um, and it's just you just wanted more. So yeah. it was I don't know. So whenever I set a goal, like it's it's weird. You have like blinders, so mm-hmm. it's just like you know you you just your sights are set and that's it. You just gotta do everything you can to get there. Right, and and that's the same with BMX and. Sure. Or even when I was racing on the road, it was the same thing. And, 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 you know, some of it's, you know, what they say about ego, how you know you're doing something for your ego is when you achieve it, you're never satisfied. Yeah. So you always want more. So it's yeah. like, wait, this isn't good enough. I need something else. And mm-hmm. this is I need something else. 
So, yeah, I think that all factored in for sure. Yeah. And it's not a criticism whatsoever. I'm just, um, I'm listening to it thinking, thinking about the age that you were and how intense that must have been. And now I understand why, because I had it written down, why at, uh, let's see, you would have been, would you have been 16 when you stopped then? 16, yeah. Why stop? I don't know. It's it's like it's almost like you didn't, like you said, you checked the box. You didn't want to. You didn't want to stop until you but won the. There world. was nothing left after that. There was no. It wasn't Olympic sport. They were talking about it back then, but there was. It wasn't. But it what, wouldn't have happened in four years. So they had the '92 Olympics. So that right. wasn't an option. But what, so the only not, other option was to go to California. But why not pro? There's lots of pros from around here. But what's a pro? I think even back then I understood that being a pro wasn't like you know you're, you're well they had super class in around 92 but so you're not making a living off class. it you're, you're well, doing mediocre but, pay at best and what are you going to get a couple of years out of it and back uh, then honestly I was getting negative yeah. negative press in the magazine so I'm going to move to where they are they're, they're talking negative press oh yeah yeah because I, I had, for a long time I was racing with a full face helmet and they'd be like, oh, he would do better if he had an open face. I'm like, oh, I uh, guess it, so, but you're not the person who smashed your chin open and was right. spitting out teeth, you know? Right, right, right. No, I didn't realize that either. No, so it was a few. So was there some negativity in BMX also that kind of, t- that, that I'm not saying was overwhelmingly the, the reason whatsoever, but a contributing factor to saying, okay, I checked it off, I did it, I'm ready for something new and a different atmosphere, a different group. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't say there was sport. negativity, but it was... I think I was just totally burned out by then. Yeah. It's like, between that and then, you know, I'm in high school, there was... You're studying for tests, and I remember studying, like, from mm-hmm. the time I got home from school till like, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Just, all right. It wasn't... I raced, but it wasn't, like, the end-all, be-all. Like, I always kind of... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Once, once I achieved what I achieved, I was content. I guess mm-hmm. that would be the word. Sure. And not everyone, that's a great I mean, it's amateur. almost like the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Once you win a world title, there's not really much left. I mean, that's the ultimate that you can win for right. the most part. So you were about winning, not... It, 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 it sounds like there was less fun as you got more serious and, that, and more focus. And then you hit those goals and it was like, well, my focus is... is is done on this in this part of my life so I need a different focus yeah which is funny because I didn't really have a focus well I was gonna try I I started doing a little bit of road and mountain bike because that was when mountain biking started in like 93 say 93 94 yeah very little Uh and then obviously then and you'd be a young roadie at that point yeah right and great and I Started college and I mm-hmm. was working on top and got a real job and then everything kind of fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Like I was going to school during the day and then working like the third shift to pay right. for it too, you know? Right. Did it ever cross your mind after retiring from BMX and starting to ride road? Did you, did it ever cross your mind that maybe you could make money as a, as a road rider? Well, it was, what were you look? what did you like about road riding, road racing I should say? Um, just it was different it was a whole different it was just different than BMX it was a, it's just it was like that that curiosity mm-hmm. I think and, and it wasn't so 
the first thing I did was race a mountain bike race because that's that was like going to be the natural progression to go from PMX into mountain yeah. biking. Yeah, true. And um, my friend Derek, he owned a bike shop, and I got a mountain bike from him. Johnson? No, Derek Zisk. He's a yeah. yeah he's a he's a he's a roadie around here. Uh-huh. He's rode mountain bike. He was right. the founder of Ocean State Velo Club. Uh huh. Um, so and Ricky Legault. I don't know if you remember Ricky. Sure. So Ricky started yeah. racing on the road when I was still racing BMX. And then he was always yeah. putting that bug out there. It's like, oh, right. you should try road racing. Oh, it's really cool. And he's like telling me about these. always, you know, doing like the Killington stage race. And he's singing spots uh, in front of his yeah. eyes. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to do that. You know, it doesn't sound very fun to me. No. So got the mountain bike. And I was just riding trails. And, you know, I rode a little bit when we were racing BMX. Yeah. But... When I was racing BMX, when I got on the mountain bike, mm-hmm. just for a couple of days of riding the mountain bike, I noticed my skills would get rusty on the BMX bike. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit, but right. it was noticeable. Right. You know, when you're riding at that level. So there was a local, it was a pretty big race. It was like a, P, I think back then it was like the Pedro series or something, mm-hmm. um, mountain bike race. I signed up for my first race and, it, you know, you all start from a stop and it's like a it's basically a cyclocross is sure but you're not you're in the woods right so we take off and I'm passing people and I'm passing people and then I'm like in the middle of the woods following the course mm-hmm. and then my body shut down now I'm like I've never experienced anything like this because I'm not used to endurance sports oh I guess and now I'm starting to like pray to the savior like yeah yeah am I gonna make it I'm like in the middle of the woods dying and right. you know tasting <laughs> blood and it was it was horrible so I ended up finishing. I think I, I don't. I think I finished like in the top five in that race, which was a big race, which was surprising. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to Derek and uh, Ricky after the race. Yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, you do this stuff. You got to ride on the road. You need endurance. You know, it's a whole different world." Right. And then with that, I started doing like uh, Derek had shop rides and everything. This is why you were in college. Yeah. Well, this was this was right after BMX. This oh, was okay. like filling that void. Oh, I got you. Between ninety, it was around that ninety three, ninety four, in there. Yeah. So I started doing the shop rides, and then um, mm-hmm. started doing some local um, training races and stuff like that. And then I ended up getting a job, like a real job. Uh-huh. And between that and school, I couldn't put the time in to to right. ride on the road. So then I just stopped. Right. So it was starting to go, but I never, you know, it was, there were other things in my life that were distracting me away mm-hmm. from it. Sure. So that's kind of why it stopped. And then I'm just kind of doing the work and school thing. And you were talking about studying a lot. Uh, that was in high school, I would imagine. Did yeah. You... I mean, I was always on a roll. So I, mm-hmm. you know, try to get good grades anyway. Right. It sounds like you tried at everything yeah hard. Try to overachieve at everything right yeah yeah, yeah definitely you, you that that would make you I would think successful at almost everything is it was there ever something that you tried that you didn't succeed at anything frustrating that you were like you know I I'm putting the same effort that I did at all these other things that I was successful at but this one doesn't it's not working you know I would say the biggest thing was the auto race and Auto racing, yeah, yeah, for sure. What made that uh, difficult was it is was, was it the vehicle? Uh, because it seems like not to take anything away from a driver's skill, you must have to have money to sink into a car uh, to exactly. be able to win. Yeah, so that was the biggest. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I always followed NASCAR and stuff, and you know, growing up in in that environment. Yeah. It, it really, you know, we're there grassroots, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. just making ends meet. You get a car, you get a trailer, you're you're out there. Yeah. But you know, we're racing against people that they have more money in their motor than you have in your whole operation. Mm-hmm. So there's no way every time their car goes on the track, it's got four new tires. Right. It just couldn't do it. It was. It's right. just. It, so then you start to see that side of the sport, and you could have all the talent in the world, but if mm-hmm. you're in bad equipment, you're doing bad. You're a field filler. You know what's That's the that of everything I read in the book and everything we've even talked about just today. That one thing that let's say you you I, I don't like to say it like this that that maybe in your mind you failed at was something that the only thing that was out of your control. Every other sport that was within your control, for the most part, it seems like you did pretty good. Yeah. Or school, to, or I should say, and school. Yeah, I mean, it was, that probably is true. That's got to be frustrating <laughs> to do a sport that really, it's not It was in your fun. Control. I mean, the, the, the environment was really cool. I mean, the camaraderie there was, was great. If you had an issue, people would help you. And it, mm-hmm. was, it was a family environment. Yeah. But, I think once again it was that that competitive side. You know, you don't want to be out there. You want to do good, and right. if you're not doing good, then it's not fun. Right. And then when you're spending your money on it, then it makes it really not fun because yeah. you could be spending your money or saving your money really. Yeah. yeah if I had exactly. that money back now, it would have been much better. But right. It's, a lot of the people were really good, but then you also had people that they wouldn't really help you out so much. Mm-hmm. They give you some ideas on how to set the car up, but yeah. Not you were pretty out, much out there on your own because yeah. you know you would be considered a threat, I guess, if you got better, which sure. that never made sense to me. But uh-huh. right. So yeah, it just I don't know. I, I I spent so much money that it just wasn't even right. I just stopped. It was the, the end was near. Yeah, right, right. Stopped the bleeding more or less. Yeah. Was your brother still into it at that point? Yeah, so we kind of came back. It was like a family thing. Mm-hmm. So it was like yeah, myself, my father, my brother, and you know we were going. I mean, we were pretty much. It was like a three man operation, mm-hmm. and the the cars that we raced were super modifieds, which didn't make life easy because um, super modifieds. There's no transmission. It's direct drive, so you have to push start the car. Really? Yeah. Gosh. And they run on methanol, so they don't run on gasoline. So yeah. you're, you're getting like 55 gallon drums of fuel. So it's very hands-on. So you're, you're, you're oh, yeah. pumping out the fuel out of the drums. You, to change tires, you're doing it by hand. It's not like you're going to Jiffy Lube to pop tires off. God. And you're pushing the car out. to You know, and these yeah. other teams, they got four-wheelers, and they were pushing their cars out, or golf carts, and all this stuff. And, you know, it, it became tough. So it just, well, the, it was a money thing, you know. It was, yeah. not hey, that it wasn't hey. fun, but... That did happen in BMX at the same time. I'm sure you suffered a lot more getting to a race than than most of oh, the guys that sure. you raced against. Yeah, right. Um, All those nationals were, were a road trip. Yeah, yeah, but not everyone was doing. You're road driving trip. to Memphis. You're driving back. I'm, that's right. leaving school early. That's but you they, know. And he Lee and Ryan uh, Vanderveen. They, yeah, they, they show up with their bike bag from an airplane. You yeah, know, and yeah, they're rested and they're. The, yeah, the it wasn't almost like sleeping in the back of a van, or it, yeah, it, yeah. yeah, it was it was funny. Yeah, it was funny because literally this week I don't know if you remember Curtis Bland, and, and I, I didn't know this, yeah, but yeah. he had uh, 
he posted something about my father, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, really? So we were driving to Memphis, and I, I don't remember this. Yeah. There, there's plenty of road stories. Yeah, yeah. So my father had him driving. He was 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. And he's saying, like, oh, you know, he was scared shit to drive. You don't have a license. Yeah. And my father's like, you got to put your foot in it, kid. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was a fun time. It was you know, I, I, I miss those days. Right. I remember one time, where I think we were going to, I think it was Homestead or Pompano or someplace in yeah. Florida. I think Ricky was with us and Lynn Court. Yeah. And we'd all stop at South of the Border. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, we're all buying fireworks, so you can't sure. buy them up here. Yeah, right. And uh, I think Lynn Court, he had some, something that went up in the air. and So he lit it and it was broken. And instead of going straight up, <laughs> it went sideways into this field. And this is in the middle of the night in like some Florida highway. A whole highway goes up in flames. We're like out there jumping on it, trying to put it out. We're like, get in the van, let's get the hell out of here, you know? And we just took off, you know? We're like, half the state probably burned down on that. But yeah, it was, I mean, that part was, it was fun. The the road stories. Yeah, it was, it was, you're always on the road. It was, you know, even at school, like I was developing a southern accent because I was racing down south so yeah, much, just from traveling. Yeah, because that was my time to race was from the, my age of that whole winter. So all those races were in Florida, Memphis, Alabama, oh, yeah. you know, the Georgia, North Carolina. Before your birthday, yeah. So I you guess. get all your races in, and then after that, you kind of skate to the grands. We had a lot of talent come out of like Rhode Island in general. I mean, between myself, well. Dave Maltizo, his sister Alicia, Sean Dupree, right. Ronnie Pacino. Um, but I, I, yeah, Todd Cambio for sure. Uh-huh. But the, the other Chris Diaz. Yeah, yeah. There's two Chris Diaz's. The other, yeah. one, the other one's still racing. But I, I, I truly believe, even to this day, we had a tremendous disadvantage because our tracks, Connecticut, you guys had some good tracks out west, but we'd show up at some of these nationals and you'd see stuff that you'd never seen before. I think, for me, riding trails got me to that next level. Because mm-hmm. when I went to a national, and I had a really good group of friends, and I'd see something that I'd never ridden, we'd mm-hmm. duplicate it at the trails. Oh, okay. We were building triple step jumps, and I don't know if you remember those mountain peak doubles at the last straightaway of Shoreham, where if you didn't oh, make yeah. it, you snap your frame in half. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah, built yeah. those. We, we would just build, and they would help me you know, dig dirt for a week to... Yeah, like Todd Cambio, he was he was a bull. He always did well, but his mm-hmm. skill, you know, he was too fast for his skill. Oh, okay. I've raced with a lot of people that way. That yeah, you know, if they stay upright, they're gonna win. But you right. know, if they crash, then obviously you're not winning. Billy Voltec. Yeah, Billy was another example. Full power and just not a lot of a lot of skill. Right. You know. No, you get on those technical tracks. Then well, you need kind of need both. Right. Not to take anything away from me, he still did very well. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, but yeah, he. I th- I think, geez, looking at that got class, a, some number twos, I believe. Yeah, yeah. You remember Malik Ferguson? Oh my lord, yeah, yeah. Him and Mike Creham were like a pair. Yeah, pretty. Malik much. was a beat. That, honestly, in all my racing, I think I raced him at a local at Rock and Rocky Hill. I would, I would always win. Right. And for some reason, he was older. Mm-hmm. He, uh, they combined classes. Yeah. And I was racing Malik yeah. in my motos. Yeah, those were the hardest three motos I ever won in my life because Rocky Hill is a speedway. Yeah, I yeah. remember. I think two out of the three I had to come from behind and pass them. But it was like, I mean, Malik would show up at Egg Harbor and beat like everybody. Gaskus, like he'd win 
or he'd crash. Yeah. Right. But he had that kind of power. Where... And to me, he came out of nowhere. I don't know. Yeah, he didn't hardly race, Tim. No. That wasn't mine. He'd show up, and you're like, whoa, Malik's there. And then he'd like win, and you're like, whoa, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even seen him before I saw him at National. Yeah. You know, he wasn't traveling like you were to, to a lot of races, so he, he, he must have been a, little, a lot, very much a power guy also. Oh, big time. I mean, we were young. Yeah. He was right. six-something, almost 200 pounds back then, yeah. you know? He was like, yeah, he was like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, yeah, and it's no wonder him and 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 Creehan were were uh, were friends. They were, both, yeah, they were. Well, both yeah, it was that Massachusetts uh, clear. Yeah, and he was uh, Creehan. He had some skill too. He was he he wasn't uh, he wasn't bad on the bike. No, that's for sure. He had not. some skill, but I wish we got to see a little more of uh, a little more of Mike Creehan. Um, but a lot of guys stopped. Stop shorter. It's, yeah, I think it's like that 16. You know, once yeah. people start driving, it's kind yeah. of... I think sure. you know, most of us stopped around that same age. Lincourt, myself, Korean. Yeah, right. Oh, before before we move on, uh, time's flying, like I told you. It would, uh, someone said something about... And you mentioned it in the book, but you didn't give the name, so I was really psyched that someone said it. Todd Corbett came yep. to do a clinic at your track. Mm-hmm. Who was it, Greenwich? Rocky Hill. Rocky Hill, I mean. Did you? Did they have a pro am or something? I was too young to race it. I, I think did I was you, fifteen or something, and it was like sixteen and over. Oh, so maybe it was that you were just killing them in practice, or what? Oh, I snuck on the gate for the main. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Then you can have to tell that story because I I didn't. Uh, all right, so you weren't allowed to race it, but there was a, a pro. Yeah, like we, we, you know, it was like Rocky Hill's my home track, so yeah, it was like, yeah. you know. Right, home field advantage, you know. Now you get some outside of there, you still, know. Still tight Corbett. So yeah, I tried to jump on the gate with him every chance that I could, and yeah, you know, I would, I was there, I was, yeah, you know, I was pulling him pretty good, yeah. And uh, and the main, I don't even remember who I switched with, but somebody, and they just let it go, <laughs> and I had That's to leave, great. and he ended up putting me over the berm. Did he? <laughs> yeah, I think oh, it was the no. second turn or something. <laughs> Um, but once again, you know, yeah. he's a pro and I'm an amateur, so right, right. yeah, he schooled right. me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. But yeah, so it, it was fun. I mean, there was no yeah. hard feelings, but yeah, that was that oh, was yeah. a that yeah. was a good time for sure. There, there's certain times when you're racing and you're jacked up about something, and yeah. it's like you just want to prove yourself. Right. And that was definitely one of those times where it's like, all right, let's see what he's got. You know, yeah, yeah. you kind of push to that next level. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it's definitely a. Uh, somewhat a northeast thing because of like you said we have we have a hard time being able to to really put a hundred percent effort 100 percent of the year to be able to even compete with a guy like ty corbett if you did decide to turn pro at 16 or i think six was it 18 or 16 it was 17 17 once you start hitting there you could go well back then it was super class and and that kind of led to b pro and a pro right yeah super class and then just straight up pro yeah just those two different yeah yeah another one of those examples of uh how it was cool to to see you know i didn't see that particular race but to be able to see people from the northeast successful at nationals against the california guys and and florida guys and and there's so many, so many good ones from areas that just they had weather on their side, in tracks that were open. Yeah, I mean, uh, like we never. I mean, it was kind of sad. Like nobody from around here really 
get that big well maybe Sean now because he, he's you know mm-hmm. still racing and now we have uh, the internet and everything but back yeah. then you know it wasn't now, we were there, but it wasn't like we were household names by any stretch right. of the imagination. Yeah, definitely. A lot Even of myself. I mean, I really, you know, 89 to 92. It's not a lot of, in 90, I really didn't race. So right. to be out there that little bit, you know, to get my name out there was pretty cool, I guess. Right. And Davey, too. I mean, Dave Maltesos was, was in there. He was fun to watch because he, so, he was so small. Yeah, and I, when he I came so back fast. in uh, 08... That's where I was. Uh, he was at the trails. That yeah. I found out. And I'm talking to him like you never started. And, and uh, the other one who I forgot to mention is Nick St. Lawrence. Oh right, right. Yeah. I think Nick was national yeah. one too uh-huh. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Nick had some crazy. You know, I I remember going to races with Nick, and he was like, you know, Nick was always super right. small, but yeah, he probably started like God. I don't. Know, he could barely ride a bike. You know? He was getting titles at eight or nine I know he was young when he started. yeah it was yeah definitely later he was winning nationals and yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave was riding like I think inch and three eighths against you know we were on like 20 inch wheels and uh, yeah we had a good team uh, at the end I mean they were uh-huh. sad to see me leave when I said I was going to retire yeah. mean, back then we had like Robbie Miranda and Maltese mm-hmm. and myself and we were winning some team competitions in the right. nationals did that oh, was it the type of sponsorship that helped uh, offset cost entry fees the whole yeah but it still wasn't a plane ticket to the race you know it was was basically your entry fees and you know maybe a little bit of spending money Mm -hmm. gas money or whatever and equipment for the most part but did you ever think of trying to find a way to to pick up a, a better sponsor to keep it going or because of the you had mentioned you i believe you mentioned you felt you would have to move to be able to go further in the sport, is that right? Is that what you? Um, we definitely solicited sponsorship, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it never really panned out. Yeah, I mean, Coca Cola when that started, that was just a, a local team. Sure. Like back uh, back then, it was uh, they actually had a Pepsi team for a short period of time, so it became mm-hmm. Coke against Pepsi. Oh, all right. And, yeah. Yeah, I was doing the mass series, so they were uh, so Ken Alty. He he was the the captain of the team, but. They wanted to get me on the team, and that was part of the deal. I'm like, I'm not going to just go on the local team. Like, I race the Nationals. I need, you know, right. X, Y, and Z. Right. And then they kind of made that happen. And then from there, I think his name was uh, Cajun. His son, his, I was I was friends with his son. He was yeah. he started racing BMX. Right. But his father was like the, you know, he was a higher up in Coca-Cola. Okay. And then yeah. they learned about the nationals and kind of what we were sure. asking. And then yeah. from there, it progressed into creating a national team to, to get it out there, you know. Right. And that's kind of how that whole Coca-Cola thing mm-hmm. went. I think we had Philip Donnell, too. I was and just going to mention it. Yeah, we had some talent, for sure. I mean, we were, oh, yeah. we were doing some damage. Yeah, Phil, Phil was good. If the factory sponsorship, the tr- in, in a true form, a factory sponsorship, something like Inhealy had or Ryan Vanderveen, if that had worked out, would you have gone a few more years, or were you kind of checked I, I, out? I think I was checked out because you you hit your goals. Yeah, I think it was. So the funny thing is, after I won the worlds in uh, Brazil, I had an all expense paid trip to France. Mm-hmm. That I think it was that May of the following year mm-hmm. for the European Championships. Mm-hmm. I didn't go. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I appreciate the offer, but that's not going right. to take it. Right. And yeah, that was kind of. How did who who made the offer? 
Uh, there was somebody in the Federation over there. Really? Yeah. They were trying to get U.S. riders there to... Yeah, something like that. Really... And they, they they made the proposal, like all expense paid trip uh-huh. for, you know, to compete in that, I don't know if it was a race or a couple of races yeah. or whatever. That's so crazy to me. Yeah, I just that walked away from doing that. that but... Yeah. Well, back then, I mean, it, when you were from the U.S. at the Worlds, you, you might as well have been a rock star. I mean, it yeah. was you were the, the attention of the whole place. Like, people would, I mean, the, to me, to this day, one of the coolest things I ever did was signing autographs, you know? Yeah. You're yeah. at the Worlds signing autographs and yeah. anything that you would bring that would buy. That I, I heard. sold pretty much everything I had except for my bike. You know, it's just like, there you go, yeah. And you right. were making some good money. Like, right. You know, would almost pay for the trip. I think that pretty much covers the BMX part of things. So now we got a pretty good idea of your your competitive mental attitude toward racing, we'll say. And then you touched on the car racing. You went back into the road into road riding how long after the first trikes? How did that how did that turn out? BMX got me back into the road. Is it because you went to Westfield? Yeah, so what what ended okay. up happening? So this was around two thousand eight. Yeah. And yeah, I was always into the gym stuff and uh, was into weightlifting. And it was funny. It was like a freak accident. I was cleaning out the garage and a lot of the racing stuff that we had. Uh-huh. And my brother was helping me carry something out. And I ended up tearing my bicep. Oh, okay. And I couldn't lift weights anymore. Right. So, Maybe but two. but between Maybe now two. and then, I, was, I wasn't an athlete by any stretch. I was a mm-hmm. weightlifter. My cholesterol was like 230. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I shouldn't say 230. It was like over 300. I weighed 230 pounds at one uh, point. Yeah. And uh, so I started doing cardio to try to get things under control without medication. And then I tore my biceps. So now I couldn't lift weights, period. So all I could do was the cardio. And I, at that time, I was yeah. just jogging. I'd be at the gym on the treadmill jogging. Yeah. Right. And I couldn't run anymore because right. the jarring would kill my bicep. Yeah. So then I started riding the exercise bikes yeah. at the gym. And then right. once I started getting back on a bike again, it was like this yeah. spark went off. I'm like, you know, I'm on the exercise bike and now it's like yeah. I'm doing the programs on there. All right, I got to do this at the highest level and you're yeah, working yeah. your way up. Yeah. And around the same time, Facebook kind of started. Sure. And now we're connecting with everybody. So now I'm connecting with all these, you know, everybody that I haven't heard from in years, mm-hmm. talking about the BMX days and you know, how we used to race and we should do this. Yeah. And I'm like, screw it, I, we should do it. I'm going to do it again, yeah. you know. And that set my goal to race BMX again. I'm like, yeah. well, I talk about it. I'm just going to do it. And I had to buy a new bike. I was, you know, I was over, well over 200 pounds. I'm not going to ride an aluminum Hawk. And the thing would probably right. snap in half, you know. Right. So I bought a brand new S and M, thirty eight special, all new gear. Started trolling. There was no tracks in Rhode Island then, so the only thing that was out there was this national at Westfield. That's going to be my goal. I'm gonna. It was like six weeks before that national. I just started really riding outside, riding BMX again. Did you even touch a gate before that race? No. You were just training. Just training. <laughs> but I did it for so long that yeah, yeah, you know right. I didn't. No, I didn't I think I needed to. Yeah, right. Which is very arrogant, I guess, to think that way. Brought out the road bike, dusted the road bike off. Yeah. Because I needed to try to get into shape and the, started riding the trails. That's where I came in contact with, like, Dave Maltizo and, um, you know, some of these newer guys that I didn't even know who they were. Yeah, it was just a rude awakening because things I wouldn't even think of, like, when you're young. Yeah. And I see these jumps, I'm like, whoa, like, yeah. no, I don't want to do that, you know? I was, like, scared and, like... So it it took me a while to build back up 
to build my well I shouldn't even say my the skill you kind of somewhat hold on to is building up your testicular fortitude so yeah, right, thing, right. you know <laughs> started jumping small things and then that got progressively into bigger and bigger so then once I could ride rhythm sections and start jumping some decent sized stuff started doing the sprints again and the road and I was in pretty good shape so I showed up at Westfield and was going to do this national and I had all intentions of winning that race yeah and it was just it was weird because when I went there the track was pretty much exactly how I remembered it the last time I raced there it didn't really change hasn't changed since and, and it, yeah it's probably still that way since 83 since i started there that was my first first race was that westfield yeah. yeah 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 man i go there i'm like this total stranger which was that that kind of surprised me because you would think it, well it shouldn't but it did it's yeah. like you know at the end like i would sign an autographs there and now i'm like you know i'm just some chump right. with a pie plate on my bike you know which is pretty much what i had but this is a long time afterwards. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was a few guys that were remember, you know, that still raced that were like, "Wow, I can't believe you're back" and all this stuff. And um, Mike Savage, or I, did he quit doing nationals by then? Yeah, I don't even know if Mike was there. I remember, I think Rodriguez was there. George might have been there. Well, I think he might have had the team going then or something. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. But first so, moto, well, even practice is like did okay in practice, but racing, hitting yeah. jumps at full race pace compared to riding trails a whole yeah. different ball game so yeah. at that point i knew i was pretty much over my head first race i think well, well, well there was this new concept of you win a race and you're done till the main that was aba oh no usa bmx whatever right. yeah usa bmx back then i think so anyway yeah so that so you had a transfer system going yeah so that that was like shocking and like what yeah. is this like right this was the way it was when i raced i would never race you win your first moto and you sit in the parking lot until the mains you know it would have yeah. been great but in a way i honestly i think not to get off topic but i think it's less competitive doing that like we had our every race we went on the gate except for your semis quarters and Mm-hmm. You had a place, or you weren't getting points. You know, like to win a national, you had to win all your motos and win the main. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, I just win a moto and you know, hang around for the main type yeah, of thing. And, and win the main. Yeah, it was all. It was main scores, not main scores and rider points. Not, uh, not nothing mattered. Nothing count. You didn't get any points for motos. Yeah, That's, or don't I should say? That's current. Um, I wish they would change that back, but uh, everyone's hurt me. On this, on the podcast, talk about my uh, just disappointment with the transfer system. Total points was uh, was great. Oh, I thought just I mean, made, it made you work. Yeah, you had every moto. There was yeah. nothing that was given to you. You know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So that was the way it was. The first yeah. moto it was like got a decent gate. I was on the outside, and like uh-huh. the people I'm racing, they don't know who I am. It was kind of funny. Right. So they're like wouldn't even talk to me i'm there by myself so first moto i'm battling out for the lead into the first turn coming out of the first turn you had that that was like a set of doubles i did sailor like almost landed in the infield and <laughs> ended yeah. up getting like fourth or something and at that point i knew i should have raced like you, there's no substitute for racing yeah you know yeah that's what surprised me when you told me you didn't go to one track yeah <laughs> yeah it was a mistake for sure i've made that same mistake throughout the years uh-huh. um yeah. Second moto, I think I won the second moto. Got to the main, and by then, like they're talking to me, you know. I'm like, you know, hey, where'd right, you right. come from, type of thing. Yeah. And the main, uh, it, a mediocre gate. I think I 
I don't know. I, I came from behind. I think I got like a third or something. Just leaving there, it was like if that happened years ago, it would be totally unacceptable. Yeah. It'd be right, like, right. no, I'm going to train twice as hard and I'm going to come back and I'm going to win, you know? Right. And it was the total opposite. I'm like, been there, done that. There was right. no drive. There was nothing. And the one thing that I enjoyed leading up to that race was riding my road bike. Yeah. So with that being said, I'm like, all right. I knew my BMX days were done at that point. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm just going to concentrate on the road and maybe look into that. They had the Nineveh Park where they had the BMX track. They uh-huh. have a circuit there that you can race. Uh, it was a 0.9 mile purposely built circuit for the road. Yeah. A criterium. Right. Started scoping that out, but I knew I needed to get some fitness before I did that. So mm-hmm. I have the bike path near my house. If I could ride down, it was like 10 miles both ways at 18 miles an hour, I'd be ready. So I'm all like doing that every day and trying to get my speed yeah. up. And then I did it. I went to Nanagrit for that first. It was the B race. It wasn't even the A race. Right. Which is a half hour. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm still over 200 pounds then. My goal was to finish with the lead group. Well, obviously, I went there thinking, you know, I'm going to win. Yeah. Which yeah. was, found that out really quick that that wasn't going to happen. No, no. <laughs> I'm on my 1990s steel Choats road bike. These guys got, like, carbon wheels, carbon frames. They look like mosquitoes. Even in the B group, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was. It was ridiculous. So... As the race is going on, I, I had a goal just to finish with the leaders. And by the end of the race, I was like getting gapped and praying to my savior that. Yeah, right, right. You know, finish the race. I'm in the parking lot throwing up. Like, it was just, it was awful. I suffered yeah. like a pig. That was it. That, that was, yeah. that suffering like kind of got me hooked. Now it was like my goal for the end of the year was to win that beer race. And then went to Providence. They, they have a having pro race in Providence, downtown Providence. I think back then it was like the Cox Charity Classic or something like that. Right. So it was a big, big race. And I was just watching the pros. And you know now everything's road bike. Like I right. need to be on the road. Talked to, I think, the announcer there. And he knew Derek from, you know, when I was yeah. getting started then. Gave me yeah. his number. So then I called Derek. And uh, he's just like... Wow, you're back, you know. And he's telling me Ricky was still racing. Well, no, I think Ricky stopped then too. Yeah. So Derek was still racing, and uh, they were still doing the shop rides and all that. He didn't have a store anymore, but they still had the Saturday ride. Yeah. And you know, I told him my plan. I'm like, I need to win this race. He's like, You're wasting your time. He's right, like, This right. isn't. You, you got to pay your dues. You know, you got to build a base. You got to do all this stuff. Right. And I didn't want to hear that. So he's like, Just have fun for the rest of the year. So to make a long story short. I didn't have fun for the rest of the year. I kept pursuing it. And then by the end of the year, I won two races. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I did my first, like, weekend races. I think yeah. I got uh, a couple so top were... fives. Yeah, then that started. So mm-hmm. then I went from cat five. You start at a five, four, three, two, one. One is pretty much pro. Sure. You know, all my friends were pretty much cat threes. From there, I wanted to do the be able the following year to do the A race at Integrate, which yeah. is like an hour-long race. Is this in your 30s? Yeah, I started back at 32. 32, okay. So that was my goal, to do the A race. So then mm-hmm. I ended up doing the A race, did that. And, you know, I was fairly competitive with mm-hmm. that. Um, got a hernia, had to have an operation. But mm-hmm. Did a weekend race two weeks after that. And right. I think I placed in the top five in that race, which was a hilly race. Uh-huh. So in that first real year back, I pretty much went from a Cat 5 to a Cat 2. Yeah. Like knocking on the door. And from there... It was 
my goal became to be a cat one, obviously, because yeah. that's like that's as high as you can go on the road. Right. Right. And then that's where you know the fun started because when you start getting to that level, it's not mm-hmm. you have to be dialed. There's there's no. It's a full time job. You yeah. you have to do the miles, and and I learned that throughout the first pro race I did was at uh, Housatonic Hills, and I just got totally destroyed out the back. It was a hilly race. It wasn't even in contention. It was like... Is that in Connecticut? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was in Connecticut. Wasn't uh, Todd Wells in that one? And he might have been. I don't know. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know. Did it, go, did it end in Torrington? I, honestly, I don't even know where it ended. I just remember... The promoter is from Connecticut, but he was originally... I just know uh, that that was the name of the race, Housatonic Hills. Which is a river... Well, yeah, Housatonic's um, a river that's right near us. Anyway, I I was at that race, not racing, but watching. Yeah. uh, The McCormick's. Yeah, racing with Mark. Mark, yeah. Right? Those those guys, uh, I think one of them... Like Mark won the national title or something for the road or something? Something like that. Cycle cross. I think he was a national champion many times. And Todd was more a mountain biker, but uh, a really good mountain biker. And he ended up making this split. Actually, it was a solo. No, there were two of them. Mark or Frank. I think it was Mark. Had gotten away. And it's it's really hilly where I live. The hills that you would have hit if you were at that race. I know the feed zone was right before the hill or it was on the hill, the bottom of the hill. Well, Todd pulled one of your moves, raced mountain bikes, and was really good at it, like he said. And he just, I don't know if he was visiting uh, family uh, back in uh, mid-state New York or what, but he raced it and he made that break with Mark McCormick and he just, uh, you know, at the whole cat and mouse thing, at the, at the end when you know you're clear. Right. He he tactically lost lost yeah out, I've but, done that a few times especially yeah. I did it with Mark actually oh did you yeah oh okay. that was probably the first race that I was on the radar it was uh, Attleboro Criterium uh-huh. and before then I'm, you know you don't, I didn't have a name because I just started like yeah. literally yeah just coming towards the end of the pro race uh-huh. he attacks and I went with him yeah. we got off the front yeah and I mean everybody was there and we ended up sticking it out I mean mm-hmm. I, I'm just I didn't know tactics or anything back sure. then, you know. So obviously yeah. he sprinted me at the end and got me, but yeah, yeah. sitting on my wheel and I'm, you know, it's just uh, right. It's a learning experience. Uh, it's, it, but then after that, it's like now people notice it. Like, well, where did this kid come from? It, you know. And people say it's it's boring to watch stages of the tour. I don't know how you feel, but I no, I, no. I like it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, once I, you understand the sport, it's not boring at all. And it's not that hard to understand. I just. I don't know. I, I love it. I think there's so many tactics in play. It's just, it's so much fun to watch. I've always watched it. Mark was good. Were they on Saturn or something? Yeah, Team Saturn. Okay. Yeah. Probably know more about that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Frank was racing internationally, too. Yeah. So he, got, he got hurt bad. and Oh, really? Uh, I think he hit a sign pulls uh, something and, like, tore his insides up. And, but, yeah. Were, well, similar to BMX, there weren't a lot of road riders from this area that, that made... Uh, tour teams, maybe continental teams, but Tyler not, Hamilton. Not. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is one of the only ones that I know that, that made made it to the the full tour team, not or a full a full tour team, not a continental team that just did you know yeah national races. Which is funny because like a lot of my road friends have been racing for years, mm-hmm. and uh, they raced with Tyler before he went yeah. over there. Right, it wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. It was okay, but he wasn't like. Right. Then he came back and he's like lapping the field by himself. 
they're like, where did that come from? You know, right. it just didn't right. make sense. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, one of them's like, you have more talent than Tyler did. Yeah. Yeah. Did, since you were 32, knowing that in endurance sports tend to favor 30-ish, we'll say. It, the 20-year-old doesn't often win the endurance race. It's a guy... No, but the 20-year-old the recover. <laughs> 20-year-old can recover, but yeah. yeah. But tons of guys in their 30s racing pro, some older. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how old was Alejandro Valverde? Yeah, I think he's 40s. When, and he Chris, did quit. Chris Horner, right? I think, won... Um, Velta, uh, he was like forty-one or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. but yeah, Tyler and the he would win a lot of those uh, Mount Washington hill climbs too, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Did you ever do any of those? Uh, I raced against the people who did win it. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't do it. I maybe if I didn't get sick, I probably would have. Oh, that was right around the yeah. time that you would have. Yeah. It's all right. So let's fast forward. A little bit because there's a lot of road biking in there. How many years of, of road biking before things started to to go wrong? Because we all know how much you have to ride to be competitive in road. Yeah. Oh, it's a full time job. Yeah. Yeah. Plus nutrition and the whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's everything. And, and you I, talk about it a lot in the book, which is super interesting. And like I said, if you're if you if you're a road racing geek like I am, watching it, spectator yeah. geek, you know, I mean, obviously I ride, but not. I ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. That's all. But I'm a fan of road road racing. So you talk about it a lot in the book. How far into it did things really start to work in reverse because you were trying so hard? Um, my last year, once... Uh, so the thing with road bike racing at a high level is power to weight ratio. That is the most important thing that there is. Is your power to weight ratio. So you need to be as light as possible, as strong as possible. And it's watts per kilogram is the ultimate number. Which is why you see these imbalances in in upper body to lower body, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Toothpick uh, arms and and mammoth legs, sprinter legs. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, for the Lance fans out there, so his trainer wasn't. You know, Chris. They said Chris Carmichael was Dr. Ferrari was really the, the yeah, brains yeah, behind yeah, that yeah. operation. Right, right. But they 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 had a formula. When he talks about the formula, like yeah, yeah. you had to be six point seven watts per kilogram to win the Tour de France. Oh, okay. That that's the formula for the most part. If you can be six point seven watts per kilogram, you're in contention to win the Tour. Right. So the thing was, and I was quite successful racing on the road. You know, mm-hmm. winning pro races and stuff like that. But I never laid it all on the line. I was always, I didn't really dial my diet in. I, you know, I ate pretty much what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like I never just locked it down and, and just went you know, all in. It was uh, the Tokeniki Road Race, which is out Western Connecticut, probably where you are. It's East Heartland. So that was the New England Road Race Championships. Oh, okay. For every year. So anyway, so that last year, my goal was to, you know, to win the pro race, obviously. I won it as a master's, so that was it. I just went on this crazy diet. It was like in, it started in, I think, end of, well, 4th of July weekend. So it was mm-hmm. like July, that race was like the second week in August. I lost like 15 pounds, and I was already pretty lean. So that was like through starvation and you know, really eating. I had it down to such a science that I could tell by how my body felt on if I needed carbs or not. Right, right. As I'm riding... I could just feel it, and my body would tighten up a little bit, and I'm like, all right, I need a little bit more. And then once yeah. you finish the ride, done, shut it off. 
Yeah. And then just and like just dropped the weight. And the weird part was my power didn't go away. Oh, okay. Which is ironic, but it's so. Yeah. At the end, I was like so lean. It was it was insane. Like you, I could see like the blood vessels in my chest, and yeah. like, I couldn't sit down on a hard surface. It would like hurt my butt. But on the bike, when I fully carved up, and yeah. it, it was it was like having an extra lung. Right. It was that kind of difference. It, it was just it was mind boggling how much mm. better you were. Yeah. And I was I was probably an all arounder. Which was yeah. surprising. You would think I'd been a sprinter from all the BMX, right. but I was I was a decent climber. And then once I lost all that weight, it, everything just went to another level. It was uh-huh. just like people that won the Mount Washington Hill Climb, I would be racing them, and right. no issue whatsoever being with them. So and I talk about it in the book for the mm-hmm. for the training I had. Uh, I had my Wednesday night rides that I would do, which be basically be a road race simulation. Right. We'd go out on the country roads out in uh, eastern Connecticut, western Rhode Island. Right. And basically just pace line, just destroy parts of the, you know, it was a re- like being in a breakaway. Right. And we re- regroup and then do it again. Yeah. But that was only like a 50-mile ride. And okay. that summer, like, I didn't really race that much because mm-hmm. uh, at work, we were, our office was moving. Oh, yeah, I read that. I read about that. So didn't really have the time to race, so I was pretty much just doing that ride doing my training and then just you know following that diet sure race day came and then there's more stories to this because the, the year before you saw it was at the race which was the first time that there was ever oh, yeah, testing that i was part of anyway so a bunch of people the, didn't show i think you were yeah it was very weird because that right after that nobody showed up for that race and and the promoter sent out a memo he's like is there anything is is, and is it one of the nicest races in new england by oh. far and i and i told him i'm like there's no way that you know it's because of you saw that the race is first class you yeah, know yeah. that there's that's what it is yeah right but, but this is the reality of of the sport mm-hmm. um and they talk about when lance came out and all this stuff being active racing at that time it made it worse like it, it got worse when they came out admitting to all that because right. what that did, it provided a blueprint. Uh huh. What they were doing, how they were doing it, and it yeah. was like right after that the competition just it you know they just went off the charts. Right. right. And it, it wasn't hard to tell because you'd have the people that you'd race you know feel fillers and then all of a sudden they're winning they're winning races. Yeah. So uh, that Usada showing up at that championship race the year before so that following year there was nobody there at the beginning of the year of that following year after the USADA I, I was the first race of the year I think was a was a criterium and me and my my friend Keith Kelly we, we lapped the field in the pro race so like going into that season I'm like on peak form you know yeah. I trained uh, virtual training which is funny it's, it's popular now but back then it wasn't they right. had a uh, trainer road Mm-hmm. Um, I had all my workouts created. It was it was awesome. I, all winter, I didn't ride outside because I didn't have to. Right. The weather's always the same inside, and I could yeah. pinpoint exactly the workouts I needed to do, mm-hmm. get it done. And I, I was still working full time, forty hours. So yeah. With that being said, I'm getting up early in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, to do my workouts and then go to work and then you know someone mm-hmm. have a life after that. It was like. A week or two after that crit, I'm in the breakaway, the, the winning break in, in the, another pro race. 
it came down to three of us. So I'm like, all right, this is cool. I'm probably going to win this race, you know, because mm-hmm. I was probably the best sprinter out of the three. And this competitor, uh-huh. he, I, I took him pull, came off, and he attacked. I chased as hard as I could possibly chase with the other kid that was with me. Yeah. And he, like, literally just rode away. Like, rode away. Like, we weren't even there and won the race. It, it just didn't make any sense whatsoever. Oh and there, there were similar things like that that were happening around that same time. And, you know, throughout, yeah. there were other riders just, you know... Whenever you went to a race, and it was no different with BMX, you always had the people that you knew you had to look out for. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You knew where the talent was. Like, right. all right, I got to watch this guy, or, or whatever. You got somebody in your motos you knew that was a threat. You mm-hmm. had to race a certain way. And this was like somebody that wasn't that, and all of a sudden they're exceeding that. So now it's like, oh yeah, so and so's here. No, and then they're like riding away from the field and winning these races. You would think enough people would take note of that. They would start. They would, but it didn't. They, they just didn't test around here, which was yeah. it was crazy. So, for me, it was hard because I, I started at thirty two, and by now mm-hmm. I'm I'm in my late thirties. Right. And racing those races, the the one two races. Yeah. I'm racing against like twenty year old kids that don't have jobs. They're living with their parents, pursuing their cycling dream. It makes you train that much harder. You know, yeah. like you just have to pay attention to everything to right. you know to be on your game. But once for that championship race, I lost that weight. Mm-hmm. It was a whole different ball game. Now it's like when I started, uh-huh. part of the addiction was I couldn't accept BMX was bad for me in an aspect of learning to lose. That right. was the hardest thing that I had to learn racing on the road because it was just. The road isn't BMX. Like BMX, for the most part, you go anywhere in the world at that particular point in time, mm-hmm. and most likely you're going to win or get pretty damn close to it. On the road, it didn't work that way. You could be the strongest guy and come down to the final sprint, you're off the back, or you know yeah. somebody's on your wheel, they come around you, or you don't make the break. That was the hardest thing for me to get used to was to you know to learn how to accept defeat i guess would be a word Mm -hmm. once again once i lost that weight it was uh people that won the mount washington hill climb now that pro race i'm with them i'm like right there i'm like it wasn't even hard i wasn't even i'm like okay no no i understand like no i'm part of this you know i truly believe to this day i probably would have won that race but the problem was i wasn't racing just like i did when i went to westfield i didn't race that whole summer yeah, yeah. 60 miles it was great. It was a 90-mile race. Mm-hmm. Those last last lap of that race, I started cramping up, mm-hmm. and then that's it. Now, instead of me off the front doing damage, now I'm off the back yeah. getting damaged right, because right. I'm cramped up. I'm just trying to make it to the finish line. But that planted the seed that I need to stay this way because mm-hmm. if I'm going to do this sport to this level or to the level that I believe I can be at, then this is what needs to happen. It's like, it's... Yeah, so, I mean, the difference, so road, like BMX is, is, it's a skill. It's way more skill involved. Where the road, you, you know, BMX, you could probably go out the night before and party and show up and do good the next day. People did it all the time. Usually that on the road, you might as well just 
sit on the side of the road and throw up because yeah. you're going to have a miserable day ahead of you. Plus dehydration. You have to be hydrated. You have to be carved up. You have to. You, you have to have the whole package together. You have to be rested. Right. You have to taper for the race. You know, and then you have to execute obviously on race day. And mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot just you know, and the similarities are it's mental as well because even BMX. I raced a lot of kids that locally were extremely talented they mm-hmm. you know i'm busting my chops to beat them we show up at a national i win the main and they're not even transferring out of their motos so how does what's yeah, the difference right. at one track your home track you're you're extremely talented mm-hmm. but now you go on a bigger stage you're you're not and that was true on the road because i had a lot of friends that i rode with that were you know i, I could i could drop them if i wanted to but they were there mm-hmm. and they're doing masters races and i'm like you should be winning that race like i, I know right. if i was in it it would oh no but so-and-so's there and this and that and then we're off the back i'm like yeah. you know you shouldn't be off the back i don't get it yeah. so that's where that mental part comes in sure and i think for me in the beginning on the road once again getting beat and then i'm getting beat by like you know these like hipsters and all these like yeah. people that i'm like how can this be? Like, I was like a world champion cyclist and I'm getting beat by like some courier or something. You know what I mean? It just yeah. didn't sit well with me. Right. And it was hard for me to accept that. And that's what drove me to keep uh-huh. um, exceeding, exceeding. And then, you know, once I got to that level, now this was, this was like the final piece of, now this is putting the whole package together. This is what you got to do to mm-hmm. be successful at yeah. that level. And then the, there was another part, too, that came out. We went on a couple of France trips. and Those are awesome to read about, by the way. Yeah, right. But, cycling in France is like football is here. It's the national sport. Right. Cars pass you. They're waving. It's like people yeah. are waving. It's just it's ridiculous. Oh, someday, someday I'd love to do it. But that, that was so much fun to read in your book. Hitting all the big climbs. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, it's so cool. When you see it on TV and then you ride it, it's it's so different. Like yeah. You're, and I'll never forget, like, the first time I went on one of the, the big Tour de France climbs. Mm-hmm. Like, we started, like, pretty much at the base of the climb. And I got to the top and I looked at my computer and it was, like, six miles and we were riding for, like, an hour and 15 minutes. Right. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah. It's just, you, you have to get your head around that. But then you go down the other side of it, your your average comes back up to that fourteen or fifteen yeah. or sixteen, whatever you're going to average, right? Because you're going down for like a half hour or yeah. forty minutes on the descent, right? Right. Which in itself is a whole, you know. You think riding uphill is hard. You, it, there's talent to go downhill. It's not just, uh, Oof. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, grip and rip because yeah. it's how much. Yeah, how brave are you to dive into those corners and oh, it's no joke when they talk about people certain people being just master descenders oh yeah and the only thing that's keeping you safe is that little metal wire Oof. yeah and you know it, it, the roads weren't closed so there was traffic coming up both ways but um, it was definitely an experience but that yeah. last time I went mm-hmm. I, I went over there at my weight so I ended up getting down to 150 pounds yeah when I was racing BMX, I think I was around the same weight, 150, 155. Right. But all my racing road success, I was like 165 to 160, you know, 165 to 170. So you can imagine from 165 to 150, mm-hmm. it was a, it's a world of difference. The last climb on that second 
that second trip I went over there was the Call de Alos, which is a Tour de France climb. Mm -hmm. And I wanted a tempo to climb. So I'm like, I'm just going to ride this whole climb at 300 watts and just see what happens, you know? Right. And it was, it was, it was a little over an hour to do the climb at that wattage. Uh huh. And, and I was never a Strava person. People live by Strava. It was like, I don't know, to me, a lot of people I rode with, like, they were excited about it. So for me to go yeah. out and take their KOMs, like, right. you know, I, I, I didn't really do that. Some of them I yeah. took, obviously, when we were doing a Wednesday night ride. Right. They were, I remember one time, like, I'm towing the group, and then the kid comes around me to take the KOM. Well, I didn't even know he loaded it to Strava, but he put it on Strava. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is a training <laughs> ride. We're not here for Strava. So I had to take that KOM back. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but so anyway, for that France trip, I just posted yeah. onto Strava just for piss and giggles, just so I would have those routes, yeah, you yeah. know, to see where we rode the different sure. towns. Yeah, yeah. And I had the KOM on the Call de Alos, which is this Tour yeah. de France climb. Yeah. So now that got my wheels turning. And I'm like, and, and 300 watts, it was like, I wasn't even like killing myself. I was just riding tempo up there. Late 30s, right? At that time, I was like 38. It put this idea in my head, what if I never stopped racing? Where would it have gone? Now, obviously, you can't turn back time. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's just it's not possible. But it did spike my curiosity to see where that would have led to. Sure. And that led me, knowing what I mentioned earlier, that 6.7 watts per kilogram, where I was, and like, how high can I get to get to that 6.7? And it wasn't even about racing because this was like over, this was at the end of the year. Uh -huh. um, I, I just started training for that 6.7 to just try to maximize myself to right. see exactly how good I could have been. Sure. And, yeah. you know, and thinking back, even if I didn't stop racing and I did race on the road, mm -hmm. that was the dirty time in cycling anyway. Yeah. That was all the stuff you're reading about with Lance and the doping. So yeah. it wouldn't have been a good time to race anyway. So no. in a way, looking back at it from this perspective right now, mm -hmm. I'm glad that I didn't. But um, yeah. back then, it was like making up for lost ground. Oh, you and, uh, frustrated as hell. Yeah. So that led me to doing all this crazy training and dieting to mm -hmm. try to get that watts per kilogram. And I wasn't competing against anybody or trying to win any particular event. Mm -hmm. I was competing against myself. Mm -hmm. And when you compete against yourself, it's a battle that you will never win. It's just, it's unwinnable because then right. your ego you, is never enough. Can I get more? Can I get more? Can I get right. more? Yeah. And that's, that was part of the addiction. And, and I went through that with the sport. It was, mm -hmm. you know, people think of addiction as being addicted to drugs or addicted mm -hmm. to alcohol or whatever. But there is such a thing as addiction to exercise. And it doesn't mean that, oh, but that's a good addiction. It's not a good addiction. It's it's mm -hmm. what you, you know, you, you, you have to be smart about what you're doing at all times. And if right. you're not, in, in, in endured sports, it's worse because, all right, you're racing at a pro level, but I'm technically not a pro. Like these pro teams, they got team doctors. They got this, they got that. They're being monitored. Mm -hmm the the weekend warriors all right i'm a pro level caliber mm -hmm. but i don't have that support right you know when i have an issue and i go to my doctor mm -hmm. they don't know what they're looking for right because they're they're looking at you know joe blow who has 
high cholesterol that they're going to give them some medication for. They're right, they're right. they're not they're not used to seeing athletes. They don't know what markers to check, yeah, so yeah. forth and so on. And it, you set yourself up for um, a rude awakening, so to mm-hmm. speak. And right. that, that's kind of what led me to write the book. Mm-hmm. Was basically to explain my journey that I went on on this quest to get to that 6.7 watts per kilogram and uh-huh. what it actually did to my body mm-hmm. um, in the process with was, blinders on. Was it, uh, before you continue on that, was the book therapeutic for you as well to write it and get it out on paper and understand how your life progressed competitively into into this overtraining? So that that's even a different answer than what you would think. So a good friend of mine, he's a, I write about him in the book, he's a grandmaster martial artist. He was writing the book. Yeah, we were, we were friends. He, he was like the head of our security and everything. Mm-hmm. He, he mentioned to me, he's like, that book is what you leave behind. Like when a, when a leopard dies, it leaves behind its hide. When mm-hmm. a person dies, they leave behind their name. So it got my wheels turning. It's like, you know what? He's right. Like, I did all this stuff, but it, nobody knows about it. Mm-hmm. Like, if I die, then there's no there's no record of it. There was no internet back then. It's only, you know, you might have Facebook, but I don't even post on there because I, I don't troll the, right. the social media because yeah. it's, it's like corrupting a whole generation of oh, people. Yeah. And there was another sad realization when I started getting sick. Now, I was putting on all these rides, and I, I had these group rides, and there was... One of the races, I would we would ride to the race course. It, it was up in Massachusetts at Purgatory. Mm-hmm. Do the course and then ride back. It was like 120 mile day or whatever it was. So I had like this group of people that I was riding with all the time. Yeah. On my Wednesday night ride, I had this group of guys, and at the end, it wasn't even about me because I, I once I got my cat one, it was like I didn't really care. Like I was just out there having fun. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was helping them progress, and now they're achieving their goals. And you know, one of my friends, Jay Trojan, he ended up winning the cycle cross national championship. Really? Oh yeah, and you know, he was one of the starts on on my ride. You know? Yeah, yeah. And just from talking to me and helping, giving him advice and stuff. Uh-huh. So that meant more to me than myself because mm-hmm. doing what I did in BMX, I was content. Like once you compete and you win and you win at high levels mm-hmm. like winning a, a local criterium or a road race for you know 100 bucks or something sure it's just it's not there what ended up happening once i got sick all those people i i fell off the face of the earth mm-hmm. like literally i got sick i started getting sick in march mm-hmm. and by the end of may i was incapacitated i couldn't walk around the parking lot at work there was mm-hmm. one day I went to work. I, I didn't know if I could drive home. Mm-hmm. Like it, it took me a while to get my health into a spot where I could drive home. As this was happening, I'm seeking medical attention. I'm like, I, I found out where how close I would have been to winning the tour naturally. Right. Which I had a good shot at it. I started failing workouts. The signs were there. Yeah. Like I'd start a workout on the train and I couldn't do it and I fail. And then I always. I'd rest a little. Maybe I didn't eat enough. And then kind of make excuses. Next time I'd do the same workout, and then I'd finish it. I'm like, oh, maybe I was dehydrated. Maybe sure. I was this. Maybe this. But this is that addiction. It, it was it was across the board. It was 
if I do a certain ride, then I can earn this dessert or, you know, it was like this risk reward program that you're on. As I was getting sick, getting to the point of that incapacitation, Mm -hmm. I'm going to the doctor and I'm like, something's going on. There's something wrong. And they're running their tests and they're like, well, there's nothing wrong with you. There's not, oh, it's in your head. You're making this up. You're a hypochondriac. You're this, you're that. Like it, it never sat well with me. It's like, how could I be that? Like, I'm at the top of my game racing, yeah. and I just choose to be incapacitated. I can't walk. Like, that makes no sense. The realization was when I got sick about writing the book, out of all those people that I rode with, only two of them reached out. And this was at the end of that year. So I got sick in that May. I was done. I didn't, sure. I didn't ride outside. Uh-huh. And... It was like the end of the year. They're like, hey, John, is everything okay? What happened? You kind of fell off the earth. So it was like my shadow disappeared once I got dark outside. Right. All these people that looked up to me that were, you know, trying to, you know, whatever. It was like, the, like it, so it just showed you the importance of, of everything. It puts yeah. things into perspective. Right. What you think is important, mm-hmm. it, that's your own belief, which is all this addiction and all right. of that. So part of me writing the book was to put out there what really happened. Right. So in a way, I don't know if it was therapeutic. I guess it was in an aspect, but um, it was me saying, hey, this is what happened to me. And dealing with doctors and everybody else, that Mm -hmm. was... That was my way of saying, all right, if this happened to me, how many other people did this happen to? Right. And then that's when I started, like, you know, obviously I wrote the book. I started the website. I started coming into contact with people. And it was funny. It was, they, they had a wellness expo in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And I did it when I first published my book. And, uh-huh. you know, exercise and making you sick and all this crap. Right, right. And people would come over and they'd look at me like, like I'm like some weirdo, you know, exercise yeah, yeah. is bad for you. What are you talking about? And then as I was talking to them... Like, you could see the the light would click. They're like, oh, wait, that's right. me. Yeah, I can't sleep. I have this. I have that. I have this. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, that's all early signs of the overtraining syndrome, right. adrenal fatigue, all this type of stuff that goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, when people exercise and they don't realize what they're doing to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, alcohol, whatever, that might screw up your liver. This stuff is screwing up your whole endocrine system. Unless you're going to a doctor that knows about this. You're going to be doing it alone, just like I had to do it alone. Right. And then that was all the research I did to try to... I was going to say, you did a ton of research. Yeah. When I read the book. I had to figure it out because I wasn't going to... When I was that sick, I thought I was dying. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, it was the end. I I was dying. There was... Mm -hmm. Nobody could give me an explanation, and I'm incapacitated. Right. So, that's death to me. I mean, I don't... You know, I'm just waiting, like... They're going to run some tests and they're going to find something terminal Mm -hmm. and this is going to be it. So once you get to that point where you don't think you're going to live anymore, it changes your whole outlook on life. It really does. And it puts everything into perspective about what's important, what's not important. And when you really look back, the things that you think are important are, are basically it's your own creation. Like who won the first Boston Marathon? Who like... Back then, they were probably, you know, egotistical maniacs, just like 
and it was the most important thing in the world to them. Right. But as time goes on, they're no, you don't even know their name, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, and once again, that was me going to Westfield. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, I'm all right. this. I'm all that. I achieved this. I show up. Nobody knows who I am. That's all. It, it, all it is is a. It's a. Yeah. It's a medal that's in my mother's house, sitting on a shelf. It's a. It's a jersey. It's a number plate on on a wall. Yeah. Yeah. There's. There. You're not really. It's not that important at the end, and to do something that can damage your health like that and mm-hmm. affect the quality of your life. It, it wasn't. You just realize that it's not important. Mm-hmm. Right. But to get over that, now that led to all kinds of fun stuff because that it was. Uh, people talk about PTSD. Well, it, it is real, and it, it's it's a nasty thing, and I I pretty much went through that. Mm-hmm. So when I say I was sick, on top of being incapacitated, the feeling I had in my body was. When you push yourself to throwing up, like say you're exercising, you're doing squats, you're running, you get, you push too much and then you're throwing up. Mm-hmm. I was stuck in that state 24-7. It just didn't go away. And then mm-hmm. it was hypoglycemia. It was, so my body was so screwed. Mm-hmm. So when you're like that, you're not sleeping. And it just, it mentally just crushes you because mm-hmm. you think you're dying. You, you, you're like, when is this going to end? I just want to be normal. I just want to be normal. This too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And you're going through and you're just grasping at straws. And any mm-hmm. type of, you know, glimpse of hope that you can get to, to kind of keep you going in that right direction. Mm-hmm. When I was that bad, I couldn't watch TV because mm-hmm. it's all negative garbage. Like your news, it's all, sure. they're just, they put out the most extreme stories to get your attention. Mm-hmm. I couldn't listen to the radio. Like rock and roll was too hard. Like stuff I like Metallica stuff. I couldn't even listen to it. It was mm-hmm. my nervous system couldn't handle it. So I, I just started to listen to motivational speaking, meditation, basically classical music, and mm-hmm. just disconnected from everything. Like I still went to work. Work actually helped because for those hours I was there, my mind was occupied. I was yeah. distracted. Right. And that led down this this uh, east versus west type of medicine and starting to do more east stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the west, there was no answers. And, and this was another sad reality. I would go to my doctor, and, and I say my doctor, I don't mean mm-hmm. one doctor. I went to multiple, probably like almost a dozen different doctors. All specialists, right? Yeah, bouncing from one to the next, trying to uh, heart specialist, this, that, mm-hmm. it might be this, no, it might be this. So as I started doing research, I'm finding things out. And I'm like, wait, well, they didn't check me for this. Or the test they sent me for doesn't really pertain to this. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Doctors have the God syndrome. Mm-hmm. I go to the doctor. I'm like, hey, you know, you think you could test me for this? Oh, no, you don't need that. that that's not, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean? And I'd explain it to them. And, oh, that's not true. That's not real. That's not this. Yeah. that's good. So, okay. Now I go to the next doctor. Mm-hmm. So it got even worse because I want to go see like an endocrinologist or a specialist. Mm-hmm. You need a referral. They won't write me a referral because there's nothing wrong with me. Right. So they're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm not, you, you don't need to go to them. Mm-hmm. So that, that led me down this east path. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, I, I kind of found out, you know, the damage that was getting done from, from the exercise. Now, 
don't know if you remember the show The Biggest Loser. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I was a big fan of that show, and, uh, you know, it went off the air, but they did a study on all of the participants. Mm-hmm. They did a basic meta- metabolic rate. I think you can find it on the internet, the, the paper. They tested them before, during, and after the show. Mm-hmm. So before, they had a, a metabolic rate of, what it, say it was 2,000 calories a day, whatever. This is just an example. Mm-hmm. They did all the crazy dieting and all the crazy exercise. They tested them again. Their metabolic rate went down. The reverse of what you would think. The reverse of what you would think. Mm -hmm. Now, after the show ended, years later, it's still down. Yeah. And they gained all the weight back because they weren't doing all the crazy exercise. Right. Your body always seeks homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So now doing this road cycling and all this crazy stuff, you're dieting. You're training, so you're racing. You're you're training on low calories. Right. Your body's trying to maintain homeostasis, so it's not going to be anabolic. Anabolic is building you up. Your body's not going to want to be bigger. Right. Because then it has to. It's not going to survive. Sure. So it starts turning things off. Right. Now there's all kinds of markers in your blood and different systems in your body that would mm-hmm. show that happening. Mm-hmm. If you know what to look for. Right. These doctors don't know what they're looking for. They're not testing for it. You're exercising so much that you're burning all of these calories. So mm-hmm. your your thyroid is part of that down regulation. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, we're burning all this. Let's let's back off on the fire. So let's let's get rid of some thyroid hormone. Let's get rid of your thyroid hormone. Let's get rid of because you're you're still burning as many calories. You're just doing it artificially through exercise. Right. So this is where that damage, and that's just one example. Now you have your 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 you know your testosterone all these other hormones in your body mm-hmm. and it's like this perfect storm that stuff just starts tanking and next thing you know your immune system's in the toilet yeah because you're constantly stressing your body cortisol's high you're running down your immune system and that leads to a whole nother aspect of viruses sensitivities all that stuff starts creeping in because your body's not strong enough to fight it which is an issue right now, which is a, it probably makes this, this podcast interview we're doing even more important oh, yeah. because when we're talking, uh, here we're talking COVID, I, I think about it. I think I'm being, I'm going out there so I can stay, stay healthy so I can handle COVID if I get it. Yeah. When really I may be weakening myself and making myself more susceptible. Is that possibly what you're, oh, what you're getting at? Yeah. So yeah, it's. So there's, there's a, in the military, and they don't put this stuff out, but it's out there. Mm-hmm. It's not mainstream, obviously, but they have, once again, addicting, addiction to exercise. Mm-hmm. They call it myocarditis. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, never heard of it. And I'm guilty of it. You're probably guilty of it. Mm-hmm. People listening, probably guilty of it. Mm-hmm. When you're sick and you exercise, well, when you're sick and you exercise and you have a virus in your body, it can attack your heart and kill you. Mm-hmm. So there's been like military, like you know, Navy SEALs stuff going through their training, sure. pushing through. You know, yeah. you're a warrior because that's what we are now. You have to be a warrior. You have to be extreme. You have to do everything to the max. Mm-hmm. Well, that myocarditis that'll kill you. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, your immune system is, is getting tanked. Cortisol will, will tank your immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some other studies like marathon runners you know, after they compete a marathon, their mm-hmm. immune system's not right. For like six days mm. after that marathon. I think of that. For six days, you damage your immune system. That you're more susceptible to... I was doing marathons multiple times a week. 
That's, that's funny. I, I was about to say, and I thought this was bad, but what you just said is worse, but I'm not surprised with you yeah, <laughs> that right. you did that many of them because, yeah. because well, of yeah. everything we've talked 100 about. 100-mile rides and all that. That's a exactly. marathon. But I did, from home, I did unsupported, just like you're talking about, I'm sure, because you can't do, they don't have supported marathons every day of the week. Right. I did marathons two weeks apart, and uh, the second one was way worse than the first I one. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. It sucked. I had to finish on a, a track, a high school track. Mm-hmm. I had to finish it because, of course, I had to finish it. Absolutely. But at the same time, I'm calling my, my daughter because I knew my wife was at work and saying, you got to pick me up because it was also not uh, early November, and so it was cold. Yeah. My sweat, you know, I'm yeah. cooling down because I can saying. barely move. Yeah. She came and picked me up. But, yeah, uh, I, what I'm getting at is that's that's a a lighter version of what you're talking about. If mm-hmm. you're doing a marathon every day, there's nothing left. And you're left. never recovering. Yeah, you're not you're eating f- right because you're trying to diet to be lean. And yeah. you're not, you know, all right, you're hydrated because you're always drinking. But but that, but that it was always a, for me, it was always a, I want to see if I can do this. Right. I want to see if I could do that. Yeah, and, and how much you could like get away with. It sounds like I dodged some bullets there because that could have been... Yeah, for sure. Or if I picked up a virus at that time, from what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it, that's that virus is free to do whatever it wants. If I'm yeah, weak. and and not to sound uh, gross, but everybody has viruses in their body. Sure. So, like Epstein Barr virus, I think ninety-eight point whatever percentage of the population has that in your body, which is mono, that's uh, mm-hmm. shingles, stuff like that. Herpes virus, a lot mm-hmm. of population has that. Yeah. There's there's a boatload of things, and now this is the problem. When your immune system's run down, those viruses that are dormant, mm-hmm. well, they're no different than anything else in the world. They want to survive. Sure. When they see a, a, you know, they see that light at the end of the hole, oh, his immune system's getting weak. Well, let's start ramping up a little bit. Yeah. And now right. your body can't fight it. Mm-hmm. So then that spirals into all kinds of other stuff. Candida, mm-hmm. all these other different ailments that will arise and then if you're you know if you're fortunate like I was and you have multiple things going on mm-hmm. now you're you're fighting multiple things yeah yeah and it was just uh mm-hmm. it took years like literally I'm, this is gonna be six years now that I've been dealing with this and I've been dealing with this almost as long as I've been that I raced on the road mm-hmm. so when you damage organs and, and tissues like that it takes seven to ten years for them to fix themselves and that's providing you're doing the right thing that whole time. Right. That just, right. that's an example. And I said this many times. Like, I've seen a lot of my friends break bones, needed rods and pins and surgery, mm-hmm. battle cancer, bounce back, full health, back to ride, back to racing. I'm still dealing with this. Yeah. You know, better, but I still have to be careful. Sure. I can't, but, you know, it, it makes you look back at, once again, it's that ego thing, and it's like, sure. it's not worth it. And the addiction part, this was the, the stupid part in my mind. Mm-hmm. When I started getting better, initially, the first thing that I tried to do... Go for a bike ride? Get back on my bike. Because <laughs> right. now i got to make up for lost ground. Yeah. Oh, I'm starting to feel good. I want to ride. I'm going to do this. And every time I did it, yeah. I got nailed. Yeah. And in the beginning, it was like nailed for like a couple weeks, setback, start to feel good. Now, there's more to the story that sure. I read about, but mm-hmm. you're trying to resume your normal life that you had. 
Right. Or be that person that you were. Mm-hmm. And you can't be because your body's just not letting you. And the more times you get nailed, mm-hmm. that's what develops this PTSD type of thing. Mm-hmm. Now you just, you don't, when you start to feel a certain way, now you're like, oh, I don't want to go there. Because mm-hmm. your, your subconscious starts to take over. Yeah. And to get over some type of subconscious issue takes you a lot longer than... So how have you dealt with it mentally? And maybe we can wrap up on that because we'll talk about how you, could, how you dealt with it mentally. And maybe it's above us right here and pointing to the black belt. Yeah, it could be that. How have you hung in there mentally and been able to keep this in check as you keep plugging away at, at, at just doing the right thing for your body? Well, it's like obstacles make life interesting. Overcoming them is what makes life meaningful. You always have to have faith that you're going to get back to 100%. Um... I had a, uh, I was doing pretty good in 2018, and then my father got really sick, and then I had uh, to start taking care of him and family member. My I ended up with that. My grandmother came along, so it was kind mm-hmm. of both of them at the same time. Sure. So all the progress I made went out the window. So I, I pretty much had to start over because mm-hmm. I went right back to just about as bad as I was. You know, once again, that puts life into perspective because you accumulate stuff and all this, all these things that you think are valuable. When you're at the end of your life, that stuff doesn't mean diddly squat. Can't take it with you. you well, number one, yeah, there's no rich people in the cemetery, number one. No. But number two, all these valuable things that you think you have, go to, go to an estate sale. Right. That's where your stuff ends up. It's going to be an estate sale. Dealing with that and, and how the system is. So basically, they will go through all your money till you get to a poverty level. And then you'll get on Medicaid. And then you'll be in a nursing home and all that stuff. Right. So you, you see how that is. So that in itself changes your outlook on life. It's like all this stuff that you think is valuable. So I had, just as an example, like tons of trophies. Mm-hmm. Like at the end, last couple of years I raced, I never even took trophies. They had mega bucks or I would give them to like the beginners at the track. Sure. Donate them back. I started taking plates off a few and I gave up on that even. Yeah. And tossed them. Yeah. I only, I, geez, I don't think I kept hardly any. Yeah. So the things that you think are, are super important in, in the grand scheme of life, um, they're really not. And, and the meaning of life is you're in this world to seek knowledge as you get older, you turn that knowledge into wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then you pass on that wisdom to the younger generation to preserve the integrity of the human race. Mm-hmm. That's the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. Not um, satisfying your ego or, or, or you know doing stuff like that. I, I ended up getting involved with martial arts. Mm-hmm. That was part of my new... Because I crashed twice, so this was the second time. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it really showed me all the titles I won and all that. I didn't gain anything in life from that. Mm-hmm. I didn't gain a skill. I didn't... The stuff I learned in martial arts, like I'm learning a skill that I'll have for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like if I can do an arm bar, if I'm like 70, 80 years old, I still know how to do that arm bar. Mm-hmm. If I'm 70, 80 years old, I'm not going to be jumping over a set of doubles or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. 
And on top of that, it, it's, it's connecting with yourself, your, your inner being. Mm. Everything you do on once, my body was so out of balance just from not stretching. Like all the years I read, I never stretched. I always thought it was stupid. Like, oh, stretching, that's for girls. You know, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, now, like stretching, you, you realize how unbalanced you are. And then with the martial arts, everything you do on one side, you have to do on the other side. So now your brain has to reverse everything. Uh-huh. I'm not left-handed. Now I got to do things on my left hand. Uh-huh. I got to learn a drill that flows this way. has to flow on the opposite side. Uh-huh. And it, you just progress from there. And then that was a... That's a goal now of mine or a passion that I, I can do it for the rest of my life. I'm not going to stress my body because I'm not doing... Well, maybe for the black belt test you are because you had a six-hour test that was... Oh, yeah? Yeah. So that got me in shape over the summer because mm-hmm. I was... But it was a different kind of... I didn't have to ride hundreds of miles. I, you know, I had to be in shape, but... Like, literally, I had to know every move from the first day that I trained until that test with my instructor. Other ones give you participation awards. He's old school. He created his own system. It's like, this is the way it is. You You want to belt my system. This is what you're doing. Right. So so that was very humbling, but it, it just teaches you to be at peace and just, you know, seek that knowledge. I learned. Now I can pass it on to others. Sure. Without having to um, kill myself through exercise. And, and, and exercise is good. I'm not saying it's bad. And I still ride. And I still will ride. But I'm not going to... I'm not going to be doing VO2 max intervals for some criterium to to you know win 100 bucks. It's just not worth it. Yeah. I'll do my half hour ride on the bike path or an hour or a 20 mile ride or whatever. At yeah. an easy pace. I'll enjoy the sure. scenery. And, yeah. you know not run down that immune system try sure. to keep it somewhat healthy keep the you know i know i know now what mm-hmm. supplements that i need for my body what supplements support your immune system mm-hmm. things like that and sure. just kind of live that healthy lifestyle and just try to pass that on mm-hmm. but there is one thing that i've falling you know when i talk about social media mm-hmm. I had the fit to be sick and I haven't posted on there a long time and there was partly a reason to that because I'm not going to be an enabler and multiple times I helped out a lot of people dealing with issues mm-hmm. but I've also been an enabler and to me that that's, defeats the purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk to people that are addicted to exercise, triathletes, runners, whatever cyclists it doesn't matter tennis players all different it happens to everybody it's not just because i'm a cyclist mm-hmm. if you're running down your system no matter what this is going to happen to you mm-hmm. it's like oh i'm having this and i've been sick and i've been feeling this way and i'm this and i'm like oh all right you know i'm giving them advice you know maybe have this test done or start looking in this direction your mm-hmm. doctors are basically oh yeah well that's what they're testing me i'm like yeah i know but you need to start looking here mm-hmm. to try to find out what's going on Sure. And then it comes out, well, I, I still do my 10-mile run, but, but it's easy. It's at a low heart rate, or I'll do this ride, or I still do right. this. You're not resting. You're, not, you're looking for a Band-Aid to continue with your addiction, to continue destroying yourself. Right. And basically, I'm giving you that, you know, that medicine so you can continue to ruin yourself. Sure. And to me, that, that's not... That's not what I want to do. I don't want to be that person to mm-hmm. 
fuel somebody's addiction, you know. There's a right way to do things for sure. But if you're already messed up, do it the right way. And if you're messed up, seek the help. But be serious about it, not like put a crutch on it. So you can go back to doing what you want to do that you can't do for that mm-hmm. point in time. You basically, with this book, have laid it out. Then it's on them to do it. Yeah, so Cons- you, you consume can. Consume it and put it into action. And like you said, you don't want to enable. So they should be able to find what they need. And if they follow it, they should be able to at least get back to a, a state of peace mentally and physically. Yeah. And then move on in a non-addictive way as far as exercise goes. Right. right. And, and it's, it's like, a, you know, sometimes the journey is more important than the goal. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize that. But that is, mm-hmm. it's your journey that, it's like climbing a mountain. And I was guilty of this as well. Like you mm-hmm. go hiking, you're like, all right. I can get to the top in two hours, even though they say you're supposed to do it in three. Yeah. But, like, go slow. Look. Look out. Look at the beautiful views. Mm-hmm. All right, you get there. Appreciate it. Have gratitude. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not all about your goal. It's it's about the journey. Right. It's about, you know, what you're going to do. What 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 impact are you going to make? Are you, you going to better yourself? Are you going to help better your family or others? Mm-hmm. You know, stuff right. like that. I think that's more important. Like, it, it takes a good fall to know where you stand. You know, if you don't fall, you should, you shouldn't have to fall. If you're right. just open-minded to, sure. you know, pay attention and know what's on the other side. And the other part of this is when I, if somebody said to me when I was going full throttle chasing goals that this would have happened, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have changed. I'll be the first to admit. I'd be like, yeah, that's not going to happen to me. And I would have just right. kept doing it just like I did. Right. So you have to have an open mind too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the, a big issue that people just don't have that open mind. Like, mm-hmm. this could be bad. And until they, until you experience it, you know, it's it's not, you don't know that your arm is broken until you break your arm. And you're like, wow, now I can't like go to the bathroom. I can't cook. I can't do this. Well, yeah. So you should appreciate that arm, you know, as an example. Yeah, right. Like appreciate what you have. And when mm-hmm. I was really sick, to see people abusing themselves. Like, I couldn't watch any type of cycling. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was like, I don't know, it, it was like this negative thing that was like, mm-hmm. this caused me this anguish, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't want anything to do with it. Right. And then going out and I see people smoking cigarettes and, and you know, abusing alcohol. And, right. Like, you, people have no idea what you have. Like, this, this being that you have... Mm-hmm. That you're just taking for granted and putting this poison in it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I wish I could be in that state to be able to do that. Right. And don't get me wrong, I have my share of drinking and stuff like that. But, sure. yeah, it's like, once you learn to appreciate your body and your being, then you, mm-hmm. you really don't want to abuse it to that right. level. Want to end on that? Yeah, I think you could. Good. I mean, sure. Yeah, I think so. So, is the book available in through where? Uh, books available to uh, Amazon. You have the, I have the Kindle version. I have the print version. Mm-hmm. And then I also have my website, fittobesick.com. Mm-hmm. And I get my contact information on there. I'm on, I don't do too much social media. Just It's all negative crap. And I just choose mm-hmm. not to have negative stuff in my life. But sure. I'm definitely out there. And if, uh-huh. anybody, if this relates to anybody, if anybody's having issues, uh, don't please don't hesitate to reach out because I'd be more than happy to share my story and some of the things that I went through to help prevent you from 
spending thousands of dollars and running in circles like a dog chasing its tail, looking for some answers to why things are happening. And that can be, you know, the stuff's all around you, environmental factors, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of things that you need to address to, sure. to uh, you know, get yourself. It's not just one thing. I guess that's the mm-hmm. whole point. Right. It's the total package. It's what you eat, what you drink, your environment, your mental spirit, you know, balancing your body. It's, it's everything together uh-huh. that you need to seek if you really want to make a, a, a true positive difference in your life. Mm-hmm. Perfect. They can contact you through the website. Is that the best way? Yeah, I would say so. Or Facebook or... Sure. Yeah. Excellent. Um, maybe you could throw an arm bar on me or, <laughs> or, or, you know, or maybe I'll just take a picture of you with the black belt. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, or maybe both. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, thank you. I Thanks, appreciate Joe. It's been it. a pleasure and I hope, uh, you know, hopefully we can shed some awareness and help out some people out there that were, if not themselves, know somebody that has an issue no doubt. I'm positive that it will happen. There's there's no doubt. Yeah. Pretty big As community. you say, even if it's one person, then it, it's it's great. Well, like you say, it's in our blood, BMX. So we're all brothers and sisters from... Yeah. Always. You know, yeah. That doesn't go away. Part of our life, so... That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. Thank cool. you. Cool. Thanks, buddy. No problem. All right. I don't really want to get arm burned. <laughs> It's actually weapons based. That's what it is. Well, we do the arm bars and stuff, but yeah, yeah it's more weapons. Oh, okay. Which Even is really better. cool. We're doing like sticks and knives and swords and bow staff. And... Ah, excellent. I don't want to be a target though. Well, padded sticks. So it helps. Oh, okay. Then it still I'm, hurts. Then I'm in. <laughs>